Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, sir. And everyone else. Indeed. Sorry, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> wow, and Alexa's joining in. Stephen's Alexa as well. I don't. I have no idea what what triggered her. But anyway, there's three of us today. There's three of us in this show. There is. One of us is an evil AI, and another one's Alexa. <laughs> So obviously, if uh, regular listeners would know, on our last episode, we celebrated 100 episodes, and as is the tradition here on the show, every 25 we like to do a touchstone movie, and we also like to add 50 more movies to our list of essential Asian cinema. Um, This will, with the picks tonight, 25 for myself, 25 from Stephen... Um, will take us to a grand total of 200. If you want to listen to the previous editions, you can do by going to the archive. Uh, but tonight, we're going to kick off with my 25, and then we're going to pass it over to Stephen, who is going to give his 25. So uh, you get the 25 from the uh, long-haired, freaky people sort of taste, and then we get something classy from Stephen's, no doubt. Possibly. <laughs> Let's see who has the most cock choppings. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny because it's obviously we watch a lot of Asian cinema, and then when it comes to make the list, it's sort of like you realise I just hate everything. <laughs> Nothing is worthwhile on this list. Um, yeah, and I guess we also have to say that the conceit of top two hundred is now dead because, although I guess our, maybe our top ten also would stay the same. I think our but, top ten is pretty, pretty bomb-proof. Yeah, I mean, but, as the years have obviously gone on, <laughs> Battle Royale is the best Asian movie of all time. I just when I think of like what it feels like criteria of watchability and rewatchability, especially, there's just not been a movie that has come close to beating Battle Royale. I mean, it's sort of like, yes, I like Hard Boiled, but sort of like at 2 o'clock in the morning when I hear the opening of Hard Boiled, does it fill me with the same sort of, yes, we're going to be staying up for another two hours to watch Battle Royale that the opening <laughs> of uh, Battle Royale does? Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think I, I was thinking sort of there's, there's another 130-odd films that we've already covered, and some of these will be up high and some of these will be low, and... So yeah, so it'll be it'll just be two hundred movie Asian movies you have to see rather than a top so, two hundred <laughs> film introduction. Because if you say words That's like essential, right. then people get really picky. It, it removes the um, opinion no, part, no, no, doesn't no. it? Even though it's your list, it's it's just our recommendation. I've already had lots of arguments with people about the sight and sound film. Top oh yeah, did you see Paul Schaefer's uh, criticised the number one pick? And then people got really upset because someone had an opinion they didn't agree with. 
Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. The number one pick, which I can't remember its name, which probably tells you everything. But it's a it's a Belgian three hour long Belgian film. It's it's really good, right? As an art house film, and I think some people are overcompensating a bit by because it's because of its nature and stuff like that. I am, I'm fully aware of it. I've seen it. Is it the best film ever? No. And then. But but I know what, how it's got there. And it is lovely to not see Citizen Kane, to not see Vertigo, even though that is my favourite film of all time, to not see, I don't know, what else? You know, the, the usual stuff. And we and, and we noticed some Asian films in there as well, didn't we? Um, oh, it's Tokyo Story, isn't it? It's, yes. it's the top Asian film. And Rans in... You know, and there's some there's some... It's always interesting to see there's a little bit of modernity, some sort of more modern films, like Portrait of a Lady on fire has suddenly appeared ridiculously high and we both know in five years time that will be down if it's there at all it'll be down in the 70s so these lists always are affected by some kind of modernity they'll always affect some kind of discussion and debate so yeah we just say we've just got 200 films we think that we, we we would like to bring to people's attention i still feel la la land deserved the oscar over moonlight well, but I mean, when's the last time anyone talked about Moonlight? Well, this week when it turned up on the list, <laughs> did it? I think it did. Yeah, I think I was just spoiled by Gregoraki and the new queer cinema, and the fact that the whole thing Moonlight itself, like you have to watch a whole movie just to watch two guys kiss, and it's all mm. like Gregoraki movies every five minutes. <laughs> it's like men on men, girls on girls, groups on people. It was <laughs> a free for all, and it's like. You watch like Moonlight and a lot of these uh, these new movies, and it's sort of like the whole thing about men making out, and it's sort of like I think I was just spoiled in the late nineties. So well, yeah, and Paul it was, was, was doing shit like that, you know. And yeah. anyway, come on, let's get let's yes. get on with your list. So kicking off the list and talking about highbrow cinema, we have a film which stars three of the key leading ladies of Asian cinema. We, of course, are talking about The Heroic Trio, which is obviously stars Anita Murray, Michelle Yeoh, and Maggie Chung, teaming up together for the first time um, as a Wonder Woman, a Invisible Girl, and a Bounty Hunter are all team up uh, together to take on an evil demon underlord who is stealing babies. Um, this one we talked about during Anthony Wong month and it's recently got a Criterion release which only gives it that sort of further thumbs up of approval but um, it's a Johnny Toe movie and if you've not seen it it feels like a lot of Johnny Toe movies it's a lot of uh, action and fun set pieces in there and certainly the three leading ladies are so fantastic together that unsurprisingly that they, they would uh, reteam several years later for Executioners or Heroic Trio 2 uh, even though that film made some questionable choices that sort of killed a potential franchise dead. But certainly the uh, original heroic trio, I think, is great. It gives each of the three leading ladies a chance to shine and certainly features that classic moment of uh, Nita, sorry, of Maggie Chung flying off um, an exploding barrel while welding a shotgun. That should happen. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, do you know the most surprising thing about this choice of all is that it hasn't been on the list already. It hasn't really, has it? It's sort of like one of those movies that's recently had a reappraisal because it was part of like mm. the Made in Hong Kong label 
um, back when it first yeah. came out on VHS, and I really, really enjoyed it then. And for some reason, it's just sort of always slipped under the radar. And I think it's just because it's had sort of reappraisal in the last sort of year or so that it sort of pushed maybe, it onto the attention. Maybe I mean, great cast, Johnny Toe. You know, it's one of those Johnny Toe films that isn't. It's it's one of those unusual ones that he's done. I know what you say about the action and stuff, but you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a thriller. A sort of a triad or police-based thriller, nor is it a romantic comedy. No, it sort of sits in this. Uh, did he do Running on Car? He did Running on well? Car with Andy yeah. Lowe in the uh, in the muscle suit, in the fat suit. Um, yeah, and was it Running? What was the one he did? Andy Lowe did that other movie where he's in a fat suit, didn't he? So, mm, yes, I can't remember what that's called, but yes, I, I yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you. Thank you for taking one from my pick. Already, really? I imagine you're gonna do that about. I imagine you're gonna do that about seventeen times. It was okay. in the mix. Um, I haven't. I haven't gone too hard and fast because you get the advantage of going first. But that just means you've got to think of them sooner. So that that's that's the payoff that we have. Um, so yeah, I fully, fully, fully support that choice. Cool. Uh, next up, we have a rather controversial pick as. I've gone with a different film in a, this trilogy than a lot of people would have probably gone with as their pick. And I've gone for The Untold Story 2 from 1998, uh, another Anthony Wong movie. Here, who turns up, um, once again, he was in the original film, and here he turns up as Officer Lazy Boots um, in a kind of Black Widow thriller um, in which a unhappy ma- unhappy married couple invite the wife's beautiful cousin to sort of move in with them and uh, the husband is kind of led astray kind of seduced by the the cousin and she turns out to be kind of a psychopath with a sideline in turning people into meat buns um this one i really really enjoyed i enjoyed it more than the untold story which obviously has that real big cat free legacy behind it much like the ebola syndrome um but this one, as I said, I it, I found this one to be a much more enjoyable film, and I thought it was just um, a lot more than just wow, we've just decapitated a child, wow, we've just had horrific violence and turned people into buns. Um, I felt this one's just a, a stronger story overall, but it's kind of overlooked. I don't know whether people were sort of like put off because they saw Untold Story One and thought, oh no, Untold Story Two is going to be more of the same, and in many ways Untold Story 2 is a much more sort of polished and uh, well-rounded film so I can't really comment because I haven't, haven't seen, seen this it. one still haven't got around to it but I am a huge fan of Untold Story and um, and Ebola Syndrome <laughs> so <laughs> but I, I think I think I know what you mean uh, and there's, there's also obviously the thing a lot especially with Hong Kong cinema that sequels quite often are in name only which this does sound a bit like you know that, that they they don't often have continuing storylines or even continuing characters <laughs> and at best at best it's just one of the actors is the same which this sounds like here but i think it's um i don't know of any great hate for this film um i just haven't personally seen it yeah when it comes to trilogy especially in asian cinema it's more recurring themes and ideas than characters um but staying on the uh Anthony Wong track we have Taxi Hunter from 1993 directed by Herman Yao uh, this is basically Anthony Wong doing his falling down thing as he plays the uh, mild-mannered insurance salesman whose wife is 
killed when um, a taxi fails to turn up and decides he's going to take revenge on all taxi drivers by taking them all out one at a time. Uh, another one from Anthony One Month, and I think it's one that we both really enjoyed. Yeah, I imagined you were going to have quite a few Anthony Wong starring vehicles, being as that's 30 films that you can pick from. <laughs> um, yeah, when you when you said the title, I thought, well, have I seen this? And then, of course, when you said what it was. Yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed this. It's, um, it's a really interesting sort of... It's, it's sort of a bit of a thriller, isn't it? A bit of a, a dark, dark, dark comedy... <laughs> Um, with this basis in what was really going on, not about the killing, but the, but the, the way the taxi drivers being on strike in the real world had generated this animosity towards them, and therefore this film comes <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, really enjoyable, and it's, again, it wouldn't have been one necessarily. You know, it was a new one to me this year, and I, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was one of the. Um, it was one of those things from from your experiences in Anti Wong Month. Obviously, I only watched about half the films that you watched. That it was really good that you did that because it brought this film to my attention that I'd never heard of. Yeah, I went back and forth. It was between this or Cop Image, um, which has the classic image of him wearing the shirt of himself um, replicated into the poster for Black Rain, uh, where he plays the uh, cop who's just obsessed with like uh, action hero cops. But no, I think uh, and the whole of the Anthony One Month, we had uncovered some some interesting movies, to say that, and we also found probably one of the worst movies I've seen this year. The Medallion. What was that? As it went. Oh, yeah, but you knew that Medallion was Yeah, but you, anyway. you went to know something's <laughs> bad, and it, to exceed your expectations of how bad it is, is uh, something completely different. Uh Another film uh, that we've talked about on the show this year is 1977's The Mighty Peking Man from the Shaw Brothers, their second foray into the kaiju genre and suddenly their last. Uh, this is their take on King Kong um, as we get a giant ape stomping on Hong Kong um, as a group of explorers uh, travel to the Himalayas to capture this mighty Peking Man. Uh, along the way, we have uh, Johnny, our key adventurer, who's uh, recently broke up with his girlfriend, but uh, works out quite well as he gets to hook up with the jungle woman, Samantha. And yeah, this was one that was fun on the show to discuss. It was fun to watch. Um, and if you haven't seen Mighty Peking Man, it's definitely worth giving a look. Yeah, so this was the highlight of um, my experience with the Shaw Brothers box set. Number one from Arrow. And um, just to follow up from last episode's rant about where is my Sure Scope Volume 2, I can confirm to everybody it has now turned up. And I'd forgotten how many. Yeah, what films are on it? There's a lot of 36 Shames of the Shaolin and its descendants. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and a weird rush to the end of the Shaw Brothers thing. But yes, anyway, I've got it. You know, but this film was great. This film, like I say, it was. I think it's the highlight of that first box set. Um, and it just makes you wonder, why are there no more than two kaiju movies from Hong Kong? Because it's really well done, I think. In, you know, it's it's campy. There's some fucking hilarious stuff with... <laughs> um, with, with, with leopards and 
elephants. Oh, where they you've, you've got uh, the interest and use of stock footage. Um, a group of explorers yeah. basically <laughs> butcher their way through <laughs> through the Indian jungle, and uh, we have also have the most marvelously constructed pyramid of apples to cover nudity. Um, it is. It is like one of those comedy shows, isn't it? Where they're. I, I, it feels like bits of it do feel like episodes of the two Ronnies, <laughs> where they're, you know they're trying to hide their uh, their tits and arse um, fascination. But yeah, I, it's it's just a really fun movie. And like I say, what, why is it only this? And is it super, super infamous? Yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. Especially like someone like Wong Jing didn't didn't say, hey, let's make a whole bunch of these type of movies for for peanuts, but. It's, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a superior giant ape film, to be honest with you. Cool. Just a bit weird. Yeah, no good, no, uh, no disagreement here. Uh, next up, we've got The Bullet Train from 1975, uh, the film which was used as the basis for the hit film Speed, um, as a bomb is placed on a Tokyo bullet train, and it will explode if the train slows below 80 kilometres an hour. This film is one of those ones where we highly recommend you check out the original Japanese cut and don't check out the American cut because the Japanese cut not only adds an hour onto the film but also fills in the back story of all the villainous characters whereas the American cut is just a far more sort of traditional action movie and really loses a lot of the soul of the uh, the film but this one here we've drew comparisons to the airport movies it's uh, Sold as a Sonny Chiba movie, but he is just the train driver. Um, and instead, it's much more of a collective um, group of uh, actors here that really make this film. So, Yeah, another another one I hadn't seen before this year. I think it yep. was this year we covered it. Yes, it was, wasn't it? Um, also, very hard to find when Hollywood decides to release a movie with... The same fucking name. Oh yes, it's a... <laughs> at the same time as we covered it. Um, <laughs> Good thing though, really helps thing... your searches. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, I think this is a really this is a really important movie, and as you said, you know, it's the inspiration. It's one of the main inspirations for Speed, um, which you know, one of the great '90s movies. But it's also a really interesting. It's a very Japanese movie. So you talked about. You know, it's it's an ensemble piece. Um, it's a lot of people in control rooms chatting away, and, and some fake drama maybe going on. Um, it's way better than in the airport movies. That's well, maybe the first one, but as, as those airport movies get later and later, as somebody who watched Airplane seventy six, Airport seventy six, the Concorde this year. <laughs> That's um, a treat, isn't for it? Other, for other reasons. <laughs> Wow, well, you know, it's 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 all right. I still can't get it. All these years later, I still remember the line. That was the best scene I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but this, yeah, this is a serious drama, and it's really well done. But it's, do you know what I mean? With that sort of Japanese film where there is the collective, where it is about the ensemble cast, where it is about the the real heroes aren't always the ones driving the train, but actually maybe the ones who are planning. The uh, the fix in in some room hold away somewhere, which is something we'll see we see in lots of sort of Godzilla films, isn't it? And other kaiju films is this. I mean, obviously, Shin Godzilla is the is the 
poster child for that kind of movie. But yes, it reminds me of other films, films like High and Low, uh, uh, Kurosawa's sort of detective thriller. Um, I think which is based on Ed McBain's story. I could be wrong. But again, that that's about the group of the police. It's not really about heroes and villains. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed Bullet Train. It was a unexpected treat this year. The sort of film you heard about, but until you watch it, you didn't realise how good it was. And something's telling me that they're doing a new release of it, but I may be imagining that. I'm sure I saw something about that. Anyway, check it out if you can. But it's not the one with... Um, Brad Pitt. Mate, Brad Pitt no. in it, no. <laughs> um, next, I've got Ashes the Purest White from 2018, directed by uh, Jia Zhangqi. Um, a Chinese film, because you reminded me the other week that we've done one film from China, uh, which was um, Touch of Sin. Touches it, but uh, well, on Curse of the Golden Flower, oh, I suppose course, yes. as well now. But, but, but yeah, we haven't done a lot of mainland Chinese. Now, I'm really fascinated about this because I haven't seen this, but I picked it up from HMV about two weeks ago. In a, in a, let's just pick up the cheapest shit I can find okay. in the world cinema section. <laughs> so I'm really interested what it's even like. So sell it. to Okay, me. well, this one um, I caught in Mumbai. Um, and this was also um, Barack Obama's favourite film of 2018. Uh, this film itself is set up as though it's going to be one of those, uh, sort of like a gangster filler, something like Election, um, as it's set in this, this sort of rural town where the local mob element is sort of struggling to hold on to the few resources that are funneling through the town because it was a mining town and when uh, the mine moved out it's sort of slowly becoming more of a ghost town even though there's like rumours of it being like um, there's businesses coming in at the same time one of the uh, mobsters um, girlfriends um, finds herself sent to prison after she is um, saves him from being beaten up by a group of thugs so uh, for brandishing a, a handgun she is uh, sent to prison for five years and the film basically follows her as she returns from prison five years later to try and pick up a life where things left off only to find that things have sort of drastically changed in the years that she's been away this isn't um, a film with a lot of big action pieces but it features a um, an absolutely standout uh, performance here from uh, Zhao Tao, who I'm not sure if she's an actress you're familiar with. She was in A Touch of Sin. Um, take your okay. word for it. <laughs> but she puts in an absolutely phenomenal performance here, and I would say that her performance here is one reason to really watch this film. Um, as well as the action, the one action scene where her boyfriend is uh, attacked by these mobsters, which is a fun uh, street brawl sequence. But she is an absolutely phenomenal actress, and it's her performance alone which makes this film worth uh, ch- worth checking out. And certainly, the reason I've chosen to uh, add it onto the list. So it definitely sounds like a Stephen film more than an Elwood film. So I'm I'm glad I've picked it up, and it'll be on the. It'll get on the watch list in the next few months, yep. no doubt. Um, next up, we have a... I don't think what the word is now. Um, well, you got three films together. A, a tri- triptych, is it? Well, that's a painting, isn't it? A, a, but yes, I don't know. A, 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 a trilogy, yes. Is it three stories, or is it three different stories? No, a trilogy of horror films that brought together British Springs. A- Portmanteau, I think is what they're called. 
Well, it brings direct together directors from Hong Kong, Korea, <laughs> and Japan. Uh, in the yeah. form of Fruit Chan, Park Chan Wook, and Takashi Miike um, for Free Extremes. Because if you can't decide between box. Have we not we picked haven't. this before? Wow. Um, obviously, Dumplings is an important film for ourselves. It was the first film that we hung mm. out and discussed way back in the MBDS showcase days. Um, and then, was it. Year or two later, we decided to randomly hang out again to uh, talk about Ghost in the Shell. But Free Extremes, if you've not seen it, it's definitely worth checking out. It's got the alternate cut of Dumplings from Fruit Chan. Uh, we also have Cut from Park Chan Wook, as well as The Box by Takashi Miike, which sort of furthered his end of his uh, outlaw period. And had a lot of people at the time complaining, it's like, oh, Miki's lost his edge. But no, Miike hadn't lost his edge, he just moved on to other things. And I think between this and Imprint, um, and certainly Ishii the Killer, it was sort of like marking an end of an era for um, his style of uh, directing and him moving on to other projects, things such like 13 Assassins. And since then, he's just continued to churn out ever more interesting movies, uh, most like Sion Sono, who we can no longer talk about. I think we can talk about him, we just have to be less fulsome in our praise. Um... So, Dad, I, I'm absolutely shocked that we had to haven't picked this before. You've you found a you found the loophole. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, of course, this of course is the second Three Extremes movie. It's just known okay. as three, it's known as the Three Extremes movie here because obviously, I guess why? So it was a tartan. Yep, job this was again, tartan, wasn't it? And he wasn't put out uh, Three Extremes um, too. So, yeah which is technically the first one. But what I find interesting about this is when it was put out, I guess it got a Tartan release because of the Mike, um connection, because of his film. Obviously, Dumplings, this is the shorter version. Um, fantastic film. I think Tartan may have also done Dumplings as its yep, own release they did, as well. Um, I've got a they feeling Dumplings they did. Dumplings as own release, and they were also on the Park Chan Wook train as well. So Well, that... And to be fair, Park Chan-wook had not yet done Old Boy at this point, which I guess is the film that really broke him in the West. I mean, people knew about Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and other things, but Old yeah. Boy put him into the mainstream. So this is this predates that. Really interesting film. Great cast as well. Um, but it, it, that, that's a proper short film, you know. It, it's here's a, here's a high concept with... Uh, um, yeah, we're not going to ruin it. Because I can't describe it without describing the whole plot. Um, but yeah, no, this is a really, really good choice. Again, I wouldn't have even thought we hadn't already picked this. Because I think it's, um, it is a portmanteau. That is the correct word for it. Um, and I love those kind of things. There's a whole bunch of Thai ones, like Forbia and stuff like that, which I think are really, it really suits horror movies. I don't know why it particularly suits horror movies. I guess because a lot of horror movie stories don't really... Although Dumplings does get to a feature length, but lot lots of horror shows are much better in this sort of forty minutes, fifty minutes sort of time frame because the core of the idea can be put out. So yeah, what a what a you bastard! For the second time this episode, <laughs> you picked one that I, I would have thought about, but I hadn't noticed. So nice one. Next up, 
because obviously it's myself, so we've got to have some more kaiju movies. Uh, we have the movie which has really started it all for myself. This was the very first Godzilla movie and the start of the obsession, which has continued for some 22 years of... Uh, I've been writing about giant monsters, but for the obsession, it all began back when I was eight, and I saw, for the first time, Ibra Horror of the Deep, which is also known as Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. But, um, yes, Evil Horror of the Deep is originally a King Kong movie, which got turned into a Godzilla movie. Um, it features Godzilla battling a giant crab, as well as uh, Mothra turning up, who spends most of the movie asleep until uh, she finally gets her ass in gear for the big finale. But, um, yeah, I think uh, Evil Horror of the Deep is still a really fun movie. I'm not sure if it ever really gets the sort of recognition as some of like the other films in... Uh, Godzilla's back catalogue, but um, for myself, I've I've always enjoyed it, and I think it's a really really uh, fun entry. Even though we'd have to wait until Godzilla: Final Wars to see Ebert return um, once again. So obviously, I'm fessing up. I haven't seen this one yet, even with my lovely Criterion. It's not really a box set, is it? It's more like a a giant thin annual <laughs> set. <laughs> It's a pain to get on the um, shelf. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at it now. It's just it does not fit in my shelves in any direction or orientation. But yes, I haven't seen this one yet, so I'm going to take your word for it. If it's one of your favourites, it's probably not going to be a terrible film. Well, that's damning with faint praise, isn't it? Um, no, I, I've I have yet to see a Godzilla movie I haven't enjoyed at some level. So. I'm sure it deserves its place on there. But it doesn't mean we can fill up the whole list with Godzilla <laughs> movies. <laughs> Which is tempting, right? I'd say most of them are worth adding to the list. <laughs> you can't have it if it's got Manila in it, though. Well, that would that would uh, cause us issues then, so... That's, well, we've already got one with Manila in, because I, I, I'm pretty certain that Destroy All Monsters is was yeah. on our first list, so... so. <laughs> Uh. Um, next up we have a film from the director of Meatball Machine uh, Yudai Yamaguchi uh, with 2003's Battlefield Baseball um, in which uh, set in a world where teams can apparently field anything they want from zombies to weapons and a high school team finds themselves uh, facing facing off against a, a team of blue-faced zombies and hoping that their star pitcher, who has a lethal pitch called the Super Tornado, is going to be what it... Give, provide them what it, uh, they need to win the big game. Um, this is an absolutely bonkers movie, but if you see Meatball Machine, it probably uh, gives you a heads up of what to expect. But uh, this is also a film where the narrator of the film is also a homeless man's dog. Which of you thinks that's weird? It also happened in uh, Hills of Ice 2 where the dog has a flashback. So the West is just as uh, capable of coming up with bizarre ideas as the East. Have you seen Battlefield Baseball, Stephen? Because I keep threatening to bring it to the show. I have. But a long, 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 very early in my career. In my career. <laughs> yeah, very career early in my Asian Chris. cinema obsession. Yeah, as if that was my career. I don't remember it, but I want to see it. That's, I'm just trying I have seen another film. He did uh, Kumite High School, the movie. 
He did Yakuza Weapon. Yeah. He did a segment in ABCs of Death. Um, yeah. I, 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 I am certain in my yellowcinema.com days, I've seen this movie. But I do want... You know, it sounds a fucking hilarious laugh. So I, I will definitely watch it um, on the back of this. I'll put it on the list. Nice. I don't know how I could have forgotten a film in this genre, but I think uh, I just want to be careful. I'm not misremembering. Okay. Next up, we have a film which I'm adding mainly because everyone is being a real snobby recently about big budget um, Hong Kong movies. Um, this one is directed by Frank Wow, and it's from 2019, and that's The Wandering Earth. Um, in which the sun has begun to expand and uh, to avoid the earth being consumed the the humanity has uh, put a number of boosters on the earth to propel this earth out of its solar system but when one of the uh, gigantic engines stops moving it solves a mission to go and fix it uh, I really enjoyed The Wandering Earth. It's on Netflix and it was a huge hit in its uh, native Hong Kong. But there are people out there who will just dismiss it because it's kind of like the Hong Kong version of a Michael Bay movie. And I think Michael Bay himself deserves a lot of credit for what he does. It's just what he does isn't considered highbrow enough for certain people. So I haven't seen it. But you, I know you've been... I remember when you, you brought it to the show is what you've been watching... And you pimped it up then, and you've pimped it up another at least one other occasion since. Um, so I really should get around to watching it. I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, um, but I will excite you by telling you there's a sequel coming out. Uh, um, I think I think what's really really interesting about it is that it was distributed by Netflix. You know, a big budget mainland Chinese film with all the dodgy stuff that comes to I mean it clearly got some sort of state sponsored positive <laughs> reviews because it's made a fucking fortune 700 million dollars that's r- ridiculous <laughs> it's it was a, it's, it's a it's a huge film I just haven't seen it um if it's a goofy silly sci-fi film I will no doubt watch it one day but um it's the fifth highest grossing film in China of all time. I've got to be honest with you. Number seven is Avengers Endgame, actually. So that probably shows you quite how much, how well it did. <laughs> but, uh, I, I've got a feeling. Anyway, yes, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm rambling. Um, I, will, I, I commit to watching it, mate, especially as it's on Netflix. That would be silly for not to, wouldn't it? I've got to be honest with you. I haven't watched. I haven't seen many of the top Chinese grossing films of all time that are from China. It's uh, yeah, different world, different world. Cool. Uh, next up from 1963, we have Detective Bureau Two Three. Go to hell, bastards! Directed by Shizun Suzuki. This is just a real fun gumshoe crime uh, drama. Uh, directed from the same director of uh, Tokyo Drifter and Branded Kill, Youth of the Beast. This is a much more straightforward film because I know that they were. He's part of the new wave, and uh, that can be all bit be a bit trippy. But this one's, um, as I said, it's just much more of a straightforward uh, private detective with uh, Joe Shishido, Lord Hamster Cheeks himself. 
who's in a lot of these films. Here he plays a private <laughs> detective who goes undercover with um, a criminal gang to find out who is robbing the US military munitions um, and sort of finds himself caught up in the gang war. Uh, this one I really enjoyed. It's available on the Arrow player, which makes it even better. And it's one that I've uh, I've recommended to you before, Stephen, but you were so taken on my recommendation you didn't bother watching it. I still haven't watched it, although the title is fucking brilliant. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Usually, I mean, I think a lot of Japanese films, if you literally translate the title, you will get stuff like this. Um, but normally they're given some kind of other sort of more palatable or less obvious, you know, new new title. So I remember, th- this is this... You said you watched this, yeah, on, watched the this on the Arrow player, player, right? I'm, it, it, I'm pretty sure it got released as as an Arrow thing, like when they were re, when they were releasing. Um, it was like oh, when they were doing like the Diamond um, Guys collection, and, and um, exactly, and those, yeah, they went to a little bit of a kick and, with uh, Yakuza movies and sort of gangster movies for a little bit. For that, 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 that's right. So, I, I it, shame on me on this one um, because I really should have watched it because it's the sort of movie I like. And the title deserves a place anyway. I think just on on its own for that title, it deserves to have a have a, have a place on cool. this list. Next up, we have the film which gave us the legendary showdown between Jet Li and Donnie Yen, um, a film that we actually discussed here on the show as well. It's 1992's Once Upon a Time in China 2, directed by Sue Hawk. Um, who's made a number of appearances on the show, but I think Once Upon a Time in China 2 is uh, another of those standout uh, movies from him. Um, but uh, yeah, if you've uh, you've not seen this, definitely go check it out. I don't know what else to really really say about, about uh, this one. Well, I mean, you can't really go wrong with a lot with most of the Once Upon a Time in China movies, whether the Jet Li ones or the Vincent... Five, it's once it, five is released over here as Once Upon a Time in China and America. Um, yeah, he's in that's Once right. Upon a Time in China four, which the, he uh, faces the pirates. Um, yes, yes, I thought he was in two of them, but I, I tell you what, actually, he's in a other Wong Fong Hei. Is that yeah. the name of the character? Yes, whatever. Um, yeah, so yeah, this one. We did do this one on the show, you're right. The first one's great. The third, they're all great in their own... Even Once Upon a Time in China and America, I really enjoy. It's, you know, it's... The budgets get less and less. <laughs> but the, but it's, and, the, and this one is especially good because, as you say, it, it, it it's the probably the film that brought Donnie Yen to a lot of attention because he's fighting Jet Li. Um, and... Yeah, no, I love all these films. I'm on, yes, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> because it's this is just this is just an obvious one. And why wasn't it on here already? <laughs> You've, you're winning a lot of these battles, sir. So yeah, highly recommended. But I'd actually recommend them all. And again, if I'm disallowing all Godzilla films, I have to disallow every Once Upon a Time in China film. But you never know; another one might appear next time. <laughs> I say for myself, two, three, and four are the best. Um, one's okay, but I think with two, they really sort of nailed down the formula and freeze. It's got that same sort of chaotic energy to it as well. So, 
Freeze the one with the sort of the dragon. It's, it's the one with the dragon. I have no idea what's yeah. supposed to be going on in that contest, but it just basically seems to be an excuse to for people to punch each other. Yeah, the, the, the thing about these movies is that they are they're telling a sort of a well-worn story for the Chinese audience. You know, they know about Wong Fong Hei, um, but for us, I, I think they're still quite chaotically put together. <laughs> I think there's a lot of what should we do today, or we've got this vague idea and some bamboo scaffolding. You guys sort it out. I'm sure there's a little bit more um, planning than that, but Choi Hart, maybe not. Um, yeah, no, great, 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 great movie. And again, there's a we did this with an episode on that. We didn't did, we? and uh, another one which I have two box sets of this, so that might be something else to put on your care package, which is getting higher and higher. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just remembered I've got a yes, I've got a I've got one of the first three, I think, and then Arrow. I want to say, or Eureka did a a proper box set with. That announces having the first four on it, but actually all of them are in. <laughs> Another one of them. There's a hidden, hidden extra, extra film. It's always fun when they when they put the um, another film as the special features. Yeah. Uh, if you've seen the documentary Overnight, uh, which is about the making of the Boondock Saints, they included the Boondock Saints as a bonus feature. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. A reverse of every other DVD we've ever owned, right? Which has the documentary as the extra exactly. Um, <laughs> and there was it the American cut of uh, Godzilla vs King Kong is um, in the bonus features of the Criterion set, as is the American cut of the original Godzilla is a bonus. Feature is it there? with with um with its own commentary? And I think I said. In the in our last episode, yes. Once you finish listening to the commentary of the on the 1954 film, he goes, "I've got so much more to say. Come and join me in, in the extra features, where I'll continue my commentary in the American cut of the film." So yeah, there's a, that that box set's so good. There's so much in there. Oh. next. Okay, on, next what's, up, what's um, we have City on Fire from 1987, a film which I'm going to be discussing in the near future on the Church of Tarantino. Uh, in a double feature with uh, Kubrick's The Killing. But um, if you've uh, heard of City on Fire, it's probably because people were saying, Red Rock Dogs ripped it off, but they didn't. It just built upon a couple of scenes in, in that feature in this one. But it's a Ringo Lam movie with uh, Charyon Fat as the undercover cop who is uh, infiltrating a bunch of... Uh, infiltrating a jewellery store heist. Uh, this is noteworthy because the fact you actually get to see the heist in this one, but it also gives us that wonderful Mexican standoff sequence, and I think it's a more rough and ready performance from a young Charion Fat, which makes it interesting, and the fact it's also a Ringo Lam movie, which alone is uh, makes it worth checking out. Especially at this period, because... His 80s output has uh, got some really good stuff like Full Contact as well, which uh, we also talked about during the Anthony One Month. Yes, no arguments here. Um, the reason I'm being a little, what's the word, distant, I'm just trying to look something up. And if I remember rightly, this film gives one of our rivals... Um, <laughs> 
So, um, yes, it gives it its name. Um, are they still going? Yes, the podcast on fire guys. Oh, yeah, the, um, the, the, the guys what? above us. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Um, but but Kenneth and the gang um, obviously have done a website for years yeah, they have. before they even did podcasts. Um, and obviously I was... I'm aware of them. They've always been the rivals, mate. Whether it's a rival to Eastern Kicks or it's a rival to um, a podcast, but it gives you know it gives them their name and and they're good they're good guys and they they know their shit for sure. We just raised the bar. Um, when you come join us, <laughs> <laughs> that's, maybe no. that's our our thing for 2023. We we take on podcasts on fire. That would be be like taking on uh, Zeus up in the Olympus, like our own Kratos moment. We're just yeah. gonna be like on the back of a Titan, like taking on Olympus. It's like that's what that would be. What uh, taking on podcasts on fire would be, but mm. no, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> what I will say is, they obviously thought it was good enough to name the whole bloody website and podcast after. That should tell you what a good film it is. Yes, there's another blog as well called uh, Heroes Never Die, which is also named yeah. after a, an Asian cinema film as well. So. Yes, indeed. But yes, I mean, I've, the, these guys have been around since the beginning of me writing about Asian cinema. So, and they've got 325 episodes currently, so we've got a ways to go yet. Anyway, so let's stop advertising the rivals. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, uh, for 2005, we have Election. Oh, bastard. Is that what's going to be on yours? <laughs> Um, it was in the. It's in the this mix. Is, well, it's not anymore. This is where I've been hanging out with out Kim, mix. and Kim's a fan of this yeah. one. Uh, also, this is a Johnny Toe movie, so there's been a lot mm. of things to keep it in the for, forefront. I wasn't a fan of Election Two, and know Election Three is on the way. Here we see Simon Yam as a uh, potential, um, the potential head of the Triad Society, who uh, finds himself uh, facing rivals. As the the council members come together to vote on who will become the new leader, all with the film itself revolving around the seizing of the dragon head baton, um, as loyalties are tested and people are double crossed. Uh, I think this is a really fantastic film. Um, it's a really really good filler and has a surprisingly dark ending to it as well. Also featuring Tony Lung, but I can never tell if it's big Tony or little Tony. Cafe, uh, cafe is big, big Tony. Tony. Um, yeah, episode fifty-two. I was just thinking, we have done an episode on. We this, have done we? an episode on this. Yes, <laughs> it was. It was half half our episodes ago. We did this. Yeah, no, really good. Um, it, it's a Johnny Toe um, triad thriller with lots of stargazing because we know most of the actors in it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, easy easy choice again. How has it not got on here before? I <laughs> um, also noteworthy for someone being beaten up with a log to the head. Not once, but twice. <clears throat> so, next on the list, uh, we go forward a bit to a much more recent uh, entry and a Shudder exclusive uh, with The Sadness, which is from 2021. Um, in which a virus outbreak causes people to embrace their darkest thoughts um, as the streets are plunged into violence and chaos uh, with a young couple attempting to reunite as they make their way across the city. 
this one is incredibly gruesome. It's also another example of a director from the west going over to the east to make the really insane movie uh, much like we saw with uh, Gareth Evans and the Raid movies uh, here Robert Jabas um, go um, does the same um, to give us the sadness which is kind of like a more extreme version of uh, 28 days later um, as we obviously have this uh, virus outbreak and uh, whether you want to call them infected or zombies, it's completely up to yourself. But features a really creative gore, some very surprising uh, moments as well, especially as people embrace their darker motives, um, which uh, certainly leads to some rather shocking sequences. But all of it's handled in a way that isn't just sort of like very exploitive or very uh, just, oh, look, at we're doing this for sort of shock value. Um, but no, I've fairly enjoyed the uh, the sadness, even though it's probably not one I'm going to have in my regular rotation. I have to fess up, I still haven't seen it. Um, the concept sounds interesting. It's based in a comic book, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, it's, I, I want to say Gaff, uh, Garth Garth Ennis. I think he's one of uh, one of his uh, um, ones. It's, it's either Garth. You can guarantee it's probably probably someone fella. from the UK. Mark, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> we only come um, with the darkest stuff. <laughs> So it's not a comic book series I've followed either. But no, you you bought it up a few months yeah. ago now, I guess. Um, I I just haven't got around to watching it yet. But the, the you know, the, like you say, it's it's um, it sounds gruesome and interesting, and yet another spin on the whole zombie thing, isn't it? It is, so, but it at least feels fresh. Indeed. I mean, I, I did do some investigation back when you first mentioned it, and I can see actually the comic stuff is sort of, it, it was more about putting an idea out there, and I think other people have sort of expanded on the universe. Wow. So I assume this film keeps it quite tight and just keeps it down to one story. But yeah, I'll, I'll, it's another one I will definitely check out. Um, if nothing else, we need more. It's Indonesian. It is it? an Indonesian one. So. Yeah, we need more Indonesian movies. Um Full stop. It's also surprising that this is a Shudder exclusive because they've got this and Tigers Are Not Afraid. And Tigers Are Not Afraid is another phenomenal horror movie. Um, so, But in a, in a completely different way to this sounds. I always think Tigers Not Afraid is Asian as well and then I forget. No, no it's, it's uh, not. It's Spanish yes. language, isn't it? <laughs> um, but no, that's, South that's a movie I still think about, like, that and Annette are like two movies I just think about like on a daily basis. Yeah, but. yeah. Tiger's Not Afraid is really good. But groovy, okay. Okay, so next we've got from 1985, we have a title that we've covered for a previous Kaiju Christmas and also North Korea's entry into the Kaiju genre with Pogasari. Uh. Yeah. A movie where the making of it is as fascinating as the film. Um, the film itself following a group of uh, starving villagers in feudal Korea who find themselves being pushed around by a controlling king and create a monster uh, to help them battle back only to find the monster posing a bigger threat than they faced previously. This is directed by Shin Sang-ok. Um, rather unwillingly seeing as he was kidnapped by the North Koreans. But it is an absolutely fascinating 
making of this one. Uh, if you want to read the book of this, uh, there is a book, um, a Kim Jong-il production, um, who was the head of, I want to say, was it propaganda or what? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, who Something basically like uh, kidnapped his, his ex-wife um, and then when he went looking for him, found himself for her, found himself kidnapped as well and uh, forced to teach North, the North Korean director's filmmaking techniques. But they also brought in monster effects from the um, the special effects team over at Toho, who apparently they found did. it one of the more enjoyable shoots that they've been on, but I suppose they haven't been kidnapped, so... So, yeah, so <clears throat> I think as an early episode, Dark Tales of Asian Cinema, you where did. I talk about the kidnapping of uh, of this, but without going too far into Pulgasari, which we then, as you rightly say, we covered a couple of years ago for Kaiju Christmas. Um, it's fucking brilliant, actually. It's <laughs> way better than you expect. Um, it's it's a cover version of Daijamin. <laughs> it's... it's <laughs> it's almost the same, but with uh, with uh, socialist undertones about the people and stuff like that, isn't there? But I really enjoyed this when we watched it, and I was expecting it to be utter shite, <laughs> and it really isn't. So yes, even people working kidnapped and working under duress, and and uh, in a, in a world where in a, in a place where not very much is available. You can still make a good kaiju movie. So, yeah, approved, you bastard, because it was another one I was... I knew you were going to pick this. Did you? Yeah, I thought that was... I thought that was a given. <laughs> good. Again, number 70s movie now, uh, Sister Street Fighter from 1974. Uh, the first film in the Sister Street Fighter trilogy, I would say. I think there's... Yep, because uh, I'm not sure the fourth one officially counts. Um, this is another one we the 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 box set that came out has only got the three in it, so we'll we'll take that as the uh, the law. Um, but uh, this one uh, stars uh, Izuko Shihomi as well as um, her mentor Sonny Chiba. This is just a wonderfully bonkers slice of kung fu weird. If you want to see people engage in fight scenes where they randomly cut locations, so you can be fighting on a bridge, then on a cliff, and then somewhere else, it features men with baskets on their head, as well as um, a selection of really weird henchmen. Um, I think this one is just a really fun uh, movie. It's, if you like your kung fu movies weird, then this one's uh, fantastic for that reason alone. And it comes to the wonderful tagline: "He's a one-man army; she's a one-woman death squad." Yeah, it's it's a real. This is one I bought to the show. I remember, you did. Um, obviously, because I'd bought the box set. Because um, that's what I. She's um, physical media all over the place. I'm on my own. I'm keeping. I'm keeping all these things alive. Um, yeah, no, it's really good, and it's yeah, it, it feels. It feels to me like it's a Hong Kong. Is it it's Chinese? It's Japanese, isn't it? It's a Japanese, but it's set in Hong Kong. That's right. Um, so it's a Japanese version <laughs> of a sort of martial arts man from Uncle. It's got that kind of just. It's not. It's not that it's a spy thing, but it's just the nutty things that happen in it. <laughs> it's again. It's a throw it all against the wall, which doesn't often feel very Japanese. That's not a Japanese 
obviously there's this there's all those little subgenres where weird shit goes on with rubber arms and stuff like that and tentacles and things but usually they're sort of this kind of movie is is fair this just feels like a bit 60s doesn't it although i think it was made in the 70s um it's, it's not quite psychedelic but someone was smoking something or they'd eaten the wrong mushrooms when they put this one together but it's a huge it's huge fun it's really it really enjoyable um i haven't watched the other two films yet in the set so i doubt they're as good the second film that's never the way the second film's especially funny it's not right, as bonkers yeah. as this one, but it has its moments, certainly. But you, you, you know what I mean about the sort of those sixties American shows, um, like The Man from Uncle or indeed The Girl from Uncle, where after they've got over being a serious-ish spy drama, they just have these episodes of bonkersness, and you just think <laughs> they're just making it up. Anyway, yes, good, another good choice. I haven't disagreed with any choices yet. You've That's got, good, though. And you've only, and you've only got. That's only number 17, so you've, you've got eight for me to argue with you. Okay. <laughs> now, if you obviously uh, remember back to our Johnny Toe triple feature, uh, my next choice was featured amongst that, and it's Breaking News from 2004, directed by Johnny Toe, um, in which a the police uh, have been... been delete, beaten in a showdown with a group of bank robbers, decide to revamp their uh, credibility by teaming up with the local media to chart the stakeout and uh, takedown of the gang who are now hiding out in a rundown building. Uh, at the same time, the crooks decide to start using the media, uh, playing the media at their own game, um, bringing a new twist to the police versus, uh, police versus robbers showdown. Uh, this is a fun action thriller. Um, as I said, we watched this along with uh, Running on Karma and um, Life Without Principle. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Which, yeah. Which is actually really good. It well. was an interesting triple feature to do, uh, but I think this was the real sort of standout of um, of that that phrase. So. I got nothing else to say on this one. So sorry if you were like, yeah. No, it's it's a it's a classic Johnny Toe. Um, he makes these movies, or him and the Milky Way Gang make these movies all the time, and it's it's really interesting. It's got stuff, to, as well as being an interesting police thriller. It's got stuff to say about the role of the media and things like that. So there's a little bit more going on. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your yeah. eighteen film run continues. Okay. No time for something a little classy, um, with a movie that uh, sound sound certainly love. From 1953, we have Tokyo Story by Yoshiro Ozu, um, in which a elderly couple set out to uh, visit their adult children in Tokyo. Um, this is a long, long movie, but at the same time, it's very engrossing. And we were told that after the fact when we were, I was asking Debbie Brooke about uh, this one, he recommended that this wasn't the one to really start with. So the fact that uh, I enjoyed it as much as I did, and certainly it sort of plays against all the things that generally I would sort of uh, gravitate towards too. Because I mean, it's slow moving. There's not a lot of action in this. In this, and it's certainly just really just following this elderly couple as they. Uh, they they see their various um, children and sort of become dismayed in 
the lives they're living. But there is something really engrossing about this story, and I think it definitely deserves it the praise that it gets from like the highbrow critics over at Sight and Sound and certainly when we talk about like Accentuation Cinema I think then that this film is certainly a, a noteworthy film to be included in that list I mean it gets on every list right so I'm not going to say oh my god this is shit because that would be wrong because it's really good <laughs> and we both really enjoyed it when we brought it to the it show it would certainly be an interesting um, reaction that one yeah got. I'd re- <laughs> I'd I'd li- I'd like to be contrary, but I can't be. But it appears on general cinema lists, like you talked about the recent Sight and Sound yep. one. It appears, I think it's like number four or something like that, or it's certainly in the top ten. Um, it appears on the best of Asian cinema, the best of Japanese cinema, the best of world cinema lists. It's it's a it's a it's a perennial top ten in any film list that, that that's going to look at outside of the uh, outside of Hollywood um, Ozu of course as a director up there with sort of Kurosawa as 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 the two grandmasters of Japanese cinema um, you know you can go on YouTube and watch all kinds of <coughs> critiques showing you how he did cinema differently obviously I think we had watched Millennium Actress yes we had at a, a similar time as we saw this, I think that filled us in a bit as well on on what was going on because yeah, the, the sort of the Ozu sort of style is very much referenced in that film as well. So yeah, throw me a bone, mate. I'm not going to say this is crap. It's really good. I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I am not that knowledgeable about no, Ozu myself neither. So it's surprising. So it's very interesting what David said. Obviously, we trust David's knowledge on these things a lot because if i'm art house then he's i'm more fart house than art house i don't know you brought the insect woman uh to the show this true, year true. as well which i would say is very similar in many ways to this yeah so these sort of these sort of realist dramas um and i think i enjoy them because sort of one of my other passions is, is british cinema and and it feels very similar to sort of those sort of kitchen sink dramas from the 60s that, that I, I so love as well so it's a, it's a style of story I enjoy those sort of social um, realism stories so yeah well done another one that I can't pick um, <laughs> okay so now we've got uh, from 1988 Grave of the Fireflies from Aizo Takahata which is one of those uh, Studio Ghibli movies that nobody ever likes to watch because it's got this reputation for being extremely depressing, but at the same time, it's just a wonderful character piece about a brother and sister who, in the final months of World War II, um, find their lives thrown into chaos when their mother is killed in an air raid in Kyobi, Japan. They move in with their aunt, who is just horrible, and eventually set out to try and survive on their own, living in an abandoned bomb shelter, uh, only for things to go quickly south from there. Um, this one doesn't go as hard as like Barefoot Gen, which uh, obviously shows like the bombing of uh, Hiroshima. Um, that one has got some truly horrific scenes, and I think because a lot of people have got this idea of like when you think of like World War Two in Japan that uh, the sort of imagery that you're going to see and I think it never goes that particularly hard but you because you care so much about these characters it's got a very sort of devastating effect because um, you sort of feel for them and it's very much the British comparison would be as the wind blows 
in the fact that you just really care about these characters and you're unfortunately going to sort of watch them go through this decline uh, before we get to see any sort of uptick. So this is a film we've talked a couple of times about bringing to the show, isn't it? I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I've always steered clear of it. But I really like these these Studio G films that are less in the fantasy. You know, I think I've already bought my favourite to the show, which is not to the show, but to um, to the list when I talked about Only Yesterday, which although isn't as dark as this one, it's very much an adult drama film that just happens to be animated. Um, you know, that, that's a film talking about nostalgia rather than ra- death by radiation. <laughs> this, but yeah, no, this, yeah, great movie. And, you know, I, I'd almost put it on kind of, you, you, you drew excellent comparison to sort of like When the Wind Blows, sort of this sort of one of these films, which is a parable about the horrors of what human beings do to each other and to innocent bystanders as well. So yeah, good choice. So, from this up, we've got another Park Chan-wook movie. We've got The Handmaiden from 2016, which is possibly one of my favourite films of this year. Um, that I've, that I've uh, discovered. This is a reimagining of uh, Fingersmith, and set in 1930s Korea, um, in which a young woman is hired as a handmaiden to a Japanese heiress who lives a life in a in a large country estate uh, under a domineering uncle but at the same time the maid has a secret uh, this one is just oh, phenomenal phenomenal as the only way I can sort of describe it it's a truly wonderful uh, piece of filmmaking it's sumptuous and it's epic in sort of scope and at the same time doesn't shy away from the more um, erotic content of the the story. Um, I think, as I said, I think we both really enjoyed this one when we looked at the show. And this was like one of my cinema shames where I would sort of had it but never bothered to watch it um, until. Which is obviously the good thing about the show is we get to you know watch all the stuff that we sort of buy and never get around to. So yeah, I mean for me it was a rewatch, and I. I wasn't. I had real issues with the Handmaiden the first time I saw it, and I think I got hung up on some stuff. Which there's one scene in particular which I just thought was crass. Um, it was the in vagina shot of oral sex that I thought, "Why the fuck have you done that, Park <laughs> Director Park?" Um, and that bothered me just because it just it just felt crass and it was wrong and uh, the yeah it was naff. However, when we rewatched it, I didn't concentrate. I, did, I, let, I, I let that go and remembered just how well acted this film is, just how well directed it is, just how glorious it looks. It's obviously set in one of my favourite time periods, 1930s Asia. So that's always that's always going to get me um, me excited about that. I just love the look and feel, whether it's Korea or Japan or wherever. I just love I love that period in in Asia, you know. Because I love it when Japan takes over a country. <laughs> that just seems to... But there's that kind of cross-cultural thing. And it, then, you know, it shows you the difference between what being Korean and what being Japanese is, which is interesting in itself. But I just love the visuals. Um, it's got a great story. Like, like you say, it's it's a reworking of, of a completely different... A, a novel set in a completely different time and place. <laughs> um, um, I also struggle sometimes with Park Chan-wook in general because I often think he's a stylist above 
anything else i think i think you can look at some of his films and and the style and the plot win over character work but i think here there's some really interesting things going on um it's a the lead girl it's her first um i can't remember her name but it's like her first um role ever and she's just brilliant when you think she's acting up against one of the great modern korean actresses as well she's so good um yeah, it's really, really, really good. And lesson to everybody is that don't get hung up on one scene and just enjoy the rest of the movie instead. Um, and then when I, like I said, I watched um, Decision to Leave fairly recently, which is his follow-up bizarre. Yes, I mean, gosh. having to uh, move by. Um. Six, six, six years later, um, Decision to Leave. And I, I mean, I wasn't... Again, decision to leave. I didn't. I thought it was okay, <laughs> um, but I wonder again, as often with his films, will I enjoy it more a second time round? So we'll probably talk about that sometime in the next couple of years. But yeah, no, I can't. Again, I know I know how much you love this film, so this is no surprise. This is on your list. Um, but yeah, just of, of the three top directors, Park Chan Wook does has to always has to do a little bit more to impress me. I'm I'm gonna put it out that I think this is this is probably his best film. Cool. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> um, for my next pick, uh, this was a film that was introduced to us through by listener Mark, um, who chose it for our very first edition of Listener Roulette. Uh, if you want to want to take part in Listener Roulette, you can uh, go to our Ko-Fi um, page. If you uh, buy us free coffees, you too can pick a movie for us to watch, and we will watch it. So, if you want to subject us to something awful, then uh, that's the place to go to do it. Uh, but he chose a scene at the sea by Takashi Katano from 1991, in which a deaf garbage man uh, discovers a discarded surfboard and sets out to become the surfing champion of Japan uh, in a wonderful slice of life uh, film. This is a film that is just so simply shot and just so engrossing at the same time um it the fact is on arrow player and doesn't really get sort of like noted enough i think is just a, a shame and certainly one of those uh hidden gems in their catalog at the moment that uh you should definitely check out much like um in katano's uh catalog as he sort of did this between violent cop and um boiling point and then made this film and then went off to uh to make more violent yakuza movies so yeah this was a film i hadn't really heard of um like you you know we we're, we know a lot about katana we've talked about him a lot through our Battle Royale series and other things as well, and our love of Takashi's Castle. Um, <laughs> Takashi's Castle, bizarrely more than we've talked about his career. So Yeah. Um, this is just wonderful. <laughs> this, is, this is, this is, I, I don't know, this is the, 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 the unexpected treat of the year. Mm, definitely. You know, I, 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 it, it's, it ticks so many of my boxes. I love films with barely any dialogue, right? Because it shows, it, it means that the actors have to act and it means the director has to be able to show a story without a lot of, you know, like elaboration or, or anything like that. Um, it's really touching. It's really lovely. It's really simple. 
but it was absolutely engrossing and we'd never have watched it we wouldn't even known it existed i think is fair enough to say um if it hadn't been for, for mark bringing it to our attention so yeah that, <laughs> an absolute delight um and yeah it gives me gives me hope for some other films i'm hoping to bring to the show that as you love it as well that maybe i shouldn't be so scared of some of the things i bring but brilliant brilliant absolutely brilliant um so next up uh, from 2019 we have the gangster the cop the devil directed by lee wante uh this is a film starring uh, kim Mu yu um in which he plays a crime boss who finds himself attacked by a sadistic killer known only as K and finds himself forming an unlikely partnership with uh, a hot-headed detective here played by uh, Murdoch Sog um, the pair finding that the, despite them coming from different sides of uh, the law that uh, they perhaps have more in common than they would like to admit and at the same time that relying on the practices of either side to get the job done in capturing this serial killer that is causing both of them problems um yeah this one's just a uh, a really fantastic south korean thriller action thriller um just really uh recommend this um, a lot it's just uh you know that sort of odd couple partnership but in this case one's a crook one's a cop yeah i <clears throat> i remember when you i still haven't seen this which is a shame because every time you just this is the second yeah. time you've described <laughs> it and i thought oh i really like the sound <laughs> of that 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 ticks a lot of my boxes. Uh, you know, it's a South Korean, modern South Korean movie, which, you know, I know production values and acting will be high. Um, who doesn't love gangsters, cops and serial killers? <laughs> Together, us, finally. Us. Yeah, these, 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 these are what we want. So, yeah, I will, you know, I will. It's on my, it's on my cinema shame. I really want to, uh, to watch it. I mean, it's not really cinema shame, is it? When it's only a film from three yeah. years ago. It's- <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm annoyed at myself that I haven't watched it because it does sound like it's my kind of movie um, next up we have another listener pick this one came from Rashmi and that's 1964's Pale Flower by uh, Mashiro Shinoda um, in which uh, Murakai a hardboard Yakuza gangster finds himself caught up um, in the antics of a wild card uh, young woman called uh, Seiko who uh, lives a life of thrills and finds her uh, turning his life upside down uh, while at the same time trying to walk the line of uh, with his um, loyalty to his gang this is uh, another Japanese new wave movie and a film that I'm kind of obsessed with even though it's another sort of slice of life drama not a lot really happens in it but if you want to see people playing tile games and it be the most engrossing thing in the world, then this is the movie for you. Yeah, um, um, we don't still don't understand no. the game, <laughs> but it's really engrossing. <laughs> it uses that repeat it that uh, trick of repeating like words and sounds that uh, makes like mm. auditions so memorable. So we're watching, as I said, we're just watching people play this tile game, and it's the most engrossing thing in the world. 
Yeah, no, obviously we were blessed with Rashmi being on the show who also adores this movie and came with a lot more background information than we're used to, didn't she? She did a phenomenal job uh, and we're in, we are going to be getting her back on uh, soon. We've got an upcoming episode planned to get her back on, so... Excellent, yeah. No, a great, a great movie. It's one, and and it's funny because I had purchased it, but I think the show allowed me to get a lot more out of the movie than maybe Definitely. I might have done originally. Yeah, this was uh, yeah. one of those movies, much like uh, like Dogtooth, where you watch it and you've got an idea that it's only when you get to like do a podcast or you sit down with someone else who's also seen it and you sort of talk it out and it sort of like it sort of adds all those levels to it as it sort of like straightens out of the things that you may not have uh, followed. Face of Another was another one for this, but you didn't like that. <laughs> um, no, I... You don't, don't seem to be a fan yeah. of, like, the Japanese New Wave as, uh, as much as I bizarrely am. And I hate, like, the French it's, New it's, Wave, so... It is... Uh, I, I, I mean, I do and I don't. Um, yeah, I, I, I struggle with the Seijin Suzuka movies, which you adore uh, as well. Like, um... Uh, which is weird. I mean, I like this one, but yeah, I, I didn't dislike Face of Another from anything technical, it, you know, a- acting, and, and I, I disagreed with its fundamental principle, which is a very rare thing for me to have, you know, a, 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 an objection of um, <coughs> existentialism about a film. <laughs> Just, um, so it wasn't. I didn't enjoy it as a as a as a piece of art. I just disagreed with the art, which I think is fair enough. Just wait till I get you to watch the assassin. <laughs> see. But yes, yes, no, good choice. So what's your last My one? My final pick uh, is the Black Tavern from 1972, directed by Teddy Yip Wing Chol. Um, if uh, you're a fan of Kissing Contest, uh, you know that Mike Dick, who um, also has gone on to do Border Boss and he did uh, Virtual Pros for a period, um, is an absolute huge fan of this uh, film and uh, the person I'm responsible for me checking it out. But this is a uh, kung fu movie um, in which a group of uh, warriors all meet at the title of Black Tavern, hoping to intercept a government official who has got a carts full of gold uh, that they all plan to uh, cross leading to much double crossing as well as some real random uh, plot choices such as cannibals and hopping vampires all which uh, make appearance in here while featuring a character known as the lady hermit and the whip devil um this is fantastic just on like the action sequences and the plot is also really enjoyable as well throughout this one but it's one of those ones that sort of hasn't really had a proper big release even though you can find it on places like youtube and i think that you can get it um as part of like um celestial's releases of the shaw brothers collection but um no if you've not seen the black tavern and you like your kung fu movies especially this period then i would really recommend checking this one out because it's got the right blend of sort of like action and great set pieces and at the same time throws in a nice dose of kung fu weird in there as well to keep things interesting but um, yes, my final pick for tonight is The Black Tavern from 1972. And you've ended on a movie I haven't seen. Yep. 
<laughs> but that's okay because it's impossible for us not to. And now I get 25 um, movies I probably never seen. So. <laughs> uh, no, not so bad. I was just um, I was just thinking. You, you've got a letterbox list of these, I haven't you? Have a up. List of all these things, yes. So I will um. <coughs> I will have to uh, triple check because, yes, I may struggle. No, I won't struggle. Um, <laughs> I will definitely find you 25 movies, and I think you'll find a lot of them you will enjoy, and a handful of them you'll think, I've not seen that, and nor will I. But yes, I was just looking at our last list. Yes, groovy, right, nice one. Now it's all pressures on me for the next episode, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so um, oh, that's that's life. <laughs> um, so we're going to take a quick break now. Um, when we return, uh, we're going to be running down Stephen's picks for the list as he gives us his twenty-five. But uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Are you tired of the same daily troll? Well, get on over to Blitz and Chance. We got uh, one game. We got a whole bunch of games here. You can you got Chabos and Flobos and you can shoot things. Get over here, play the game. Use your Flurbos to get tickets. Roy 2 just got here. Get over here at Chips and Ch Chips. It's the coolest place in the world. <laughs> I, I get to be in the commercial. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, The Vern, and on each episode, myself, along with the guest, We'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you. Because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great flits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So, listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site thatmomentin.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and hope you enjoy it. And we're back. Obviously, in the first half of tonight's presentation, we had myself who presented my first 25 picks for tonight's list. And now it is time to hand over the duties to Stephen, who will now present his 25 that will be making up our 50 films that will be added onto our list, bringing our grand total to 200. So, Stephen, uh, where would you like to start then? Okay, so, um, this was really hard, <laughs> as we were speaking about before recording, um, it, but it's my own fault because I let you go first, which means that I have less pickings from the show to talk about, but then I remembered I've been doing this a long time and there's loads of things. So, I've got 25 films from various countries, I'm going to go through it country by country and year by year, if that's alright. Just because I put it in a spreadsheet and I thought it's I'd organise it. It's trying to be fancy it. now, aren't you? It's, it's, it is. Well, yeah. I just was afraid I couldn't remember all these films. Anyway, let's start. So I'm going to start in China. I've got a couple of films from mainland China, which we talked about in the last part, where we really don't cover enough films. And um, <coughs> I've picked one from 2009 called Cow. Um, and it literally is a story about a man and his cow. Um stars the... Uh, um, the actor Huang Bo, who's in a ton of Chinese films. You, even if you don't know the name, you'll recognise him. He's got one of those faces. He usually plays some ugly guy. But he's uh, quite a famous comedian. Um, 
and he's a really good actor. Um, basically, Cow takes place um, during sort of early World War Two, where the the, the Chinese Japanese conflict, which so many films are in. He's a he's basically a bumbling village idiot type, and um, his job is to look after a cow. And then the Japanese army invade, and stuff happens. Um, it's you know it, it it's it's sort of part sort of one man and his cow drama but also part war film part sort of it's quite critical of what happens in wartime um and it's really delightful um it, it's really a showcase for huang bao um and i'm lucky because i've got it on a chinese dvd i don't know if it ever got a release over here but um won lots of awards really really good though really highly recommended Obviously, because it's on the list. Right, next up is... Oh, no, I haven't seen this one. Does, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link I know that um, Hong Biao was in uh, Kung Fu Dunk, though. I think he is, yes. He, he'll probably be a mainland face in Kung Fu Dunk. That's an Anthony Wong special, isn't it? Kung Fu Dunk and... Um, is that is Anthony Wong in Kung Fu Dunk? Is he the dad or am I... Th- no, I'm thinking something else, but it is Jay... Well, it's the same lead, the main guy, isn't it? And one of the twins is in in in. in yeah, Shining Shows in that. Dunk, isn't she? Yeah, more on her in a bit. Anyway, <laughs> but yes, no, Huang Bao is in a ton of stuff. I'm sure he was probably in The Bullet Vanishes. Anyway, number two in my list. Um, so I think on a previous version, probably last time we did this, I... Um, they picked a film by um, Chinese director Diao Yinan um, called, let me try and remember, um, Black Coal Thin Ice. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm picking his follow-up to that um, called The Wild Goose Lake, which I, I think I did talk about on the show before. It's yet another sort of contemporary crime thriller set in China. Um it stars uh, Hu Gay and um, Gui Lanmei, who are, again, very popular Chinese actors and, and actresses that, that appear in lots of things. Um, it's it's the story of a, basically, a, a, a sort of a criminal that, minor criminal that gets, um, accidentally shoots a uh, policeman and wacky hijinks ensue it's a it's it's a dark thriller just like black coal thin ice um really well filmed really well acted and just i don't know there's just something wonderful it's sort of there's the mix of the urban there's the mix of the going out into the countryside there's this wonderful bit where they go to like a roller disco and the colors are just amazing um i think i saw this i want to say i saw this on movie but Maybe I didn't. I can't remember how I saw it, but really, really good. Um, I, I mean, the director has only made a handful of films and only two have really made it outside of China, which is Black Hole and, and this one. And he's just some, just a really interesting. If you like, if you like a, a deep, dark crime thriller with societal undertones and, and the like, I'd recommend both these movies. So that's why I've added it in. Yeah, it is a movie. In the moment, so uh, yeah, you sure can watch it on there, yeah. or you can watch it on Amazon. So, I think I'm going to go through a lot of films you haven't seen, which is all stuff going the to watch make list. this a bit. Of, 
Yeah, this is going to be a bit of a monologue, everybody. Right, over to Hong Kong now. And number three, a film I only rediscovered um, very recently, although I had reviewed it a long, long time ago, but um, it, it popped up in my um, in my YouTube sort of suggestions because somebody had uploaded a copy of it to uh, to the YouTube, which is good because I've never been able to find a DVD of it or anything like that. It's a Shaw Brothers movie. But it's not a Shaw Brothers um, kung fu or even a horror or even an erotica. It's a batshit crazy spy type police thriller in full 1960s style, if you know what I mean. Sort of. Um, so, like, it, it's it's called Temptress of a Thousand Faces um, from 1969. Um, I think if I wanted to describe it, it would be a bit like a cross between the 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 Avengers, i.e. Steed and Mrs. Peel yeah. type Avengers, and the Batman um, 60s show. It's not quite as bonkers as that, but it's pretty bonkers. Um, basically, it's a, basically, it's, it's the story of, there's this, there's this criminal who goes by the name of the Temptress of a Thousand Faces because she's a mistress of disguise and she's on a crime spree. And then a, a female detective... Um, announces that she's going to bring down the Temptress of a Thousand Faces and they head off against each other and the Temptress has got a secret base and then the Temptress has this... She's Basically, she's got masks, like in Mission yeah, Impossible. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that, that kind of thing. And um, and she ends up impersonating the policewoman and seducing her boyfriend and getting her in trouble. And, and it's it's just bonkers. And there's scenes that don't make any sense, as, as you might expect. It's colourful and funny. Um, it also has some not bad fight action going on in it for what it is. Um and some really nice stuff with split screen stuff, which is really quite effective for the time. Um, it's um, oh, how can I? What should I say? It's also really interesting because um, it's almost totally female led. Everything's sort of put on its head. So the so the antagonist and the protagonist are both females, and the damsel in distress is the boyfriend. So it's kind of very. Um, a feminist if you want to say that it's not because people are walking around in their underwear and stuff so it's not that feminist it's still quite leery and the last scene is horrendous <laughs> <laughs> it's just you i'm not gonna go yeah it's not it's not graphic but what the, the sexual politics on display all the good work done in the previous hour and 10 minutes are blown away but yeah i think it's a bit of a shaw brothers um I think they did a couple of films a bit like this, but it's yeah. I rewatched it again yesterday and remembered how much I loved it the first time, and uh, so definitely you can find it on YouTube. Cool. It reminds me a lot of the premise in many ways of like Invisible Man versus Human Fly. Yeah, but just think about it with a lot more colour mm. and, and 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 women and high kicking stuff. Um, yeah, I think you'd get a kick out cool. of it. Okay, number four, Hong Kong movie number two, is a film I've talked about a lot recently, um, which is Anne Hui's Boat People from 1982, um, which I've been pimping a lot because it's had a nice restoration and blah, blah, blah. But also it was one of my cinema shames until very recently. Now, Anne Hui is a director that we haven't really talked about at all, which is a bit of a shame on us. Um, I, you know, She is one of the... One of the 
that sort of new wave of <coughs> Hong Kong directors from the sort of the 80s and 90s, very much so, along with people like Troy Hark, who we've talked about a lot. Um, and she makes all kinds of fantastic movies. And this is this is like really famous. Um, it's part of a sort of, a, it's not really a trilogy, but a part of three films where she was looking at the um, what was going on with um, people in um, Vietnam, Cambodia. I've just lost. It's Vietnam. Yeah. It's, it's Vietnam. Um, so I just had a sudden crisis of confidence. Um, what was happening in the sort of late seventies, early eighties, post Vietnam War, where you know the communist government had taken over and lots of people were trying to escape for various reasons. Um, Boat People is a um, sort of a, it's 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 a drama. I I I had assumed it was a documentary, but there is a another thing that she did which was a documentary which is why i've confused anyway it's a it's a drama a japanese photographer goes um who was there when when the the, the communist government won basically won the vietnam war is invited back by the government to have a look at these sort of new areas these settlement areas where they're um they're trying to show off how great the new vietnamese society is obviously long story short it ain't fucking great <laughs> at all and and what actually happens is the story gets grimmer and grimmer and grimmer if you want to see like an eight-year-old boy blown up by a mine this is your film if you want to see a woman who is forced into prostitution and then has to commit suicide in the street because she gets caught doing it this is your film if you want a really dark ending for your protagonist <laughs> this is your film um, times all over but isn't it with you but it's but it's so so good it's also a really early appearance for Andy Lau, who people will know from various films, but I guess mostly as the sort of the the the, the criminal turned cop mole in Infernal Affairs, um, it's one of his first appearances. It's it's really good. It's really important as well. There, it comes with caveats um, that uh, there's some suspicion that it's a little bit of a job that's been done for the mainland. Even though Anhui is a is a Hong Kong, well, she works out of Hong Kong they were allowed to film in mainland China to double up as Vietnam and the, the Chinese government and the Vietnamese government are not friends with each other and there is a suspicion that it's a bit of a political job to at the time to have a to sort of show the Vietnamese government in a bad light. Um and 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 Anhui has 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 said, Oh no no, I don't get involved in politics. But then she's made a film which is clearly political. So bit disingenuous of her anyway really really recommend it um probably wouldn't bring it to the show although you'd surprise me and probably love it right that's number four um so i've I, i've gone quite dark there so number five i thought i'd just change it up a little bit and i'm going to talk about 1992's all's well ends well um to be honest with you this is just a placeholder film for a type of movie that um we i think we've covered a couple of them but basically they are um lunar new year comedies um the films put out in 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 basically in hong kong mostly but i guess in china as well that are just feel-good comedies that come out during the chinese new year they're usually full of stars they're usually total bonkers and don't make any sense and it's just a case to go um stargazing as as they say um 
if you're a fan of Stephen Chow like I am, they're very Molo Tay, you know, that kind of nonsense comedy. And All's Well Ends Well, the 1992, the first one, it's had like eight sequels or something like that. Um, but this one does star Stephen Chow. It also stars Leslie Chung. Um, and it's basically a story of three brothers and the shenanigans involving in their love life. I've got to be honest with you, it's quite politically incorrect. Not that political correctness had reached Hong Kong in 1992. Um and it's just, it's, I just think it's a, a huge laugh. Um, uh, I, I couldn't speak to all the sequels. I've seen a few of them. But yeah, it's, it's, I just wanted to bring a lunar New Year comedy. Light in the mood after watching Boat People. Yeah, bounce it out. <laughs> now, to go back again um, <laughs> to 1996. Um, what was the Cat 3 film you picked in the last half of the show, the Anthony Wong? You picked... Um, oh, that was uh, Untold Story 2. Untold Story 2. Well, I'm going for a of bonus intro. Of course you're going to go for a bonus intro. <laughs> I thought you would. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just a film that you finally watched, maybe, in this list. Because um, I really... Well, I like them all. I like these Cat 3 ones. I love that, you know, obviously we looked at them a lot when you were doing Anthony Wong. Month, but... <laughs> there was certainly a period where he was putting out a lot of Cat 3 output for sure well um, again talking about you know when he, he he has this reputation as being a guy that's in this kind of film um i'm also a huge fan of um herman yao who is a director who himself like anthony wong has gone from being the king of cat three to being a really quite um respected film director um so ebola syndrome um basically anthony wong is a horrible man who escapes to South Africa um, after killing, uh, I think his boss and his boss's wife, um, gets to work at a Chinese restaurant and bizarrely, you know, because it's South Africa, it's a worse place than anywhere, so everyone's really racist towards him and you think, oh, poor fella, but he's horrible and he spits in food and horrible stuff like that. And then he... The, the Ebola virus is again this has no basis in in any fact in any medical how anything works he basically he basically fucks a girl that he finds that's dying and contracts the Ebola virus but it's one of those few people in the world that is immune to its effects he's just a typhoid mary so he spreads the disease all over the place through due to his bit and his blood and his semen <laughs> and kills just about everybody else um in in the restaurant that he works in and then comes back to uh hong kong and kills even more people and it's it's just gross but it's hilarious and it's totally tongue-in-cheek i hope um and it's just an example you know when we talk about cat three it's an example of it's the purest example of it. There's there's a couple of others maybe that it just lets them get away with whatever they want to. It's really again, it's another. It's it's got some pretty fucking terrible things in there outside of the story. You know, there's a lot of racism and there's a lot of stereotyping of African people and blah blah blah. But it's just a laugh. Um, you've seen this, surely. Yeah, I did cover it as part of Anthony Wong Month, as you remember. And yes, also I wasn't course. a fan, although yeah. I do commend it for having that incredible full body burn sequence where a guy gets set on fire and then hit by a car. Um, <laughs> not to mention the fact it sets up a potential sequel 
I think they did make a sequel. No, no, as far as I'm aware, there was only one Ebola syndrome. Apparently, one was all you needed. Um, unsurprisingly, right, yes. boxes recommend you watch this, along with The Sadness and Ishii the Killer. Um, while well, Helen yeah. Yao had gone to direct A Home with a View. Yes. Um, he as did, well as didn't he? Hitman <laughs> the Final Fight, which also adds Which is one. really. Yeah, which is really good, by the way. And there was actually a, a contender for this list. Yeah, Her- Herman Yao has become one of a handful of directors who has stayed working within Hong Kong and Hong Kong cinema. I mean, he, he throws them out a bit now. But, yeah, he, he's he's able to... He still does the occasional sort of horror-type, slasher-type film. But, yeah, big big fan of his. Obviously, we're all big fans of Anthony Wong. Yes, definitely so. We dedicated a whole month to okay. it. So. And, indeed, indeed. Right, next up is another film from Hong Kong. And it's another sort of light in the mood one. Um, again, this is one that's part of a trilogy of films. But I'm only talking about the first one. Um, it's called Golden Chicken. And again, I've spoken about it before, from 2002. Um, it stars Sandra Ng, um, who I think's in All's Well, Ends Well as well. Um, so she's quite a popular comedic actress from Hong Kong. Um quite self-effacing usually her jokes are that she's not very pretty that that's her that's her shtick i mean she's not horrible but it that's 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 the joke that sandra has and um basically she's a prostitute um and through shenanigans gets locked inside a atm it's sort of like a Wikipedia calls it a vestibule. I'm not quite sure that's the right word, but it's basically and there's a there's a there's a cash machine and it's inside and there's and it gets opened by swiping your card. They used to be like that in the UK, but I don't remember them for years being like that. She gets locked inside with um, Eric Sang, the he who shall not be talked about too much, um, who was there to rob her, um, but they end up having to spend the night together, and she regales him with stories of what of her life as an escort. Or prostitute or chicken which is what the slang is for um prostitute in in cantonese it's the same word or uh, gam guy or guy is chicken um and but really so it's a, it's a comedy about that but really it's a story about the history of hong kong and so she experiences things so remember like peppermint candy yes. think of it think about peppermint candy but um it's a comedy and it and, and it's based around a lot about being in the sex trade it's really bloody good again Andy Lau's in it as well as himself because um, she's got a crush on him and he he plays himself and steps out of a tv and and all that kind of stuff there's loads of other people there that sort of famous on big tony big tony lung uh uh, Ethan Chan, people like that. It's really entertaining. The two sequels, well, one sequel followed quite quickly. The other one was much more recent. Um, well, I say that. I just looked it up. 2014. To me, 2014 is recent. I guess, really, that was eight years ago. <laughs> um, but yes, really recommend Golden Chicken. Um, might be something I'll bring to the show at some point, I'm thinking, because uh, we haven't done enough comedy. It's always too, it's so dark. Oh, right, another comedy is next up. 
this is 2002 as well. Now, this is not a great film, all right? This is, but I'm, pick it, I'm picking this because I wanted to highlight one of my favourite actresses, and this was sort of her breakout <laughs> role. Um, so this is called My Wife is 18, starring Charlene Choi and um, Ekin Cheng. Um, it sounds quite creepy, but it not really. Um, basically, in the story, Ekin Cheng is a sort of 30-year-old man. He's been studying in England for years, in London. Um, and he's got this, you know, he's trying to do this thesis on women, um, which obviously he doesn't get women, so it never, he never gets his masters. And he tries again and again. Um, as the film opens, he splits up with his girlfriend because she says she's cheated on him nine times <laughs> because he's, because, and she can't, but she never gets around to splitting up with him. And seven men and two women. And that, 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 that's where we are. It's that kind of silly sort of romantic comedy sort of thing. Um, because, um, meanwhile, his family and another young girl's family, played by Charlene Choi's family, have sort of got together. And there's a there's an elderly grandmother, and she just wants to see her her grandson married off before she passes away. Um, obviously, there's an age gap. Thirty to eighteen might not be the biggest sounding age gap in the world, but it's quite creepy when you think about it. Um, they have no interest in each other, but they get married to. I think the young girl, Yo-Yo, Charlene Choi's character sort of does it for a bit of a laugh and to shut her family up. Nekin Cheng does it to make his grandmother happy. But they come to an arrangement that in a year they'll divorce and there's no impropriety to go on. They weren't even going to live together. Um, events then turn out that the grandmother dies very quickly and Yo-Yo goes back to Hong Kong and then Nekin Cheng turns up and they have to live together for a little while and then he turns out to be the a new teacher in her school and he falls in love with another teacher and yo-yo tries to use him to get the boys that she fancies to like her but guess what she really really falls for him um so it's it's a silly little comedy um Charlene Choi is actually really fucking annoying in this film so your your mileage on her might be that's the most annoying woman I've ever heard, or this is the peak manic pixie dream girl. Um, your mileage will vary, <laughs> how you take her, but she actually went on to become a really, really good and interesting actress, um, which is kind of why I did it. Ekin Cheng up to then had been, I think he'd been in the Young and Dangerous movies, and he was well known for being wooden. I think he had a nickname, which was like Wooden Block or something like that. Um, actually, in this film, he's all right. I think it's because he acts as like this anchor to this this outrageously loud and annoying performance by Charlene Choi. I know I haven't really sold it. Another great thing about it is a lot of the action at the beginning, the end of the film takes place in London. So if you're aware of Chinatown and various other places in London, it's quite fun to see these um, famous Hong Kong people buddying around London. I just, I just, I've always liked it. I liked it when I first saw it, but I know it's a shit film. It had, 10 years later, a sequel that no one asked for. Of course. Um, of course, I'm called uh, My Sassy Hubby, um, which isn't as good, but it's got a nice, it's got a more interesting story where they sort of, they have this sort of the 10 year itch comes up and um, other parties get involved, and but the end's exactly as you want. It was also remade as um a film called my little bride 
a South Korean movie starring one of the girls from um, Tale of Two Sisters, which is also really good as well. Um, I'd recommend any of them. So there's there's three films in one there. But again, I'm pretty certain most people are like, that's shit. Right, that's Hong Kong done with. Another film I know you've okay. seen. And I'm going to stretch out our, our tentacles of what is Asia. So we do concentrate on Southeast Asia. We, 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 you know, we, we, we try and stick with Hong Kong and China and um, South Korea and Japan on the whole, a little bit of Thailand, a little bit of Indonesia. But Asia is a lot bigger than that, although we ain't going to include the Asian half of Russia because that would just be too hard. But I will include we have i've watched um we've both watched a indian film this year that i think we both found to be an awful lot of fun despite our preconceptions um so it's not a bollywood film it's a tegalu film um but rrr or um i forgot what it stands for now a rise um, revolt and yeah uh, raw yeah that's right um i think i was sold on it the minute a man punched a tiger but there's so much more to it than this. It's, it's, it's basically historical characters, real genuine historical characters, amped up to 11 in some kind of Indian superhero bromance. And even though it's over three hours long, I was so hugely entertained. I've got a real blind spot to Indian cinema. There's a, there's a handful of films that I've watched in the past. Um, Mary Co and and checked at India sports movies basically I think are the only ones I've ever watched, um, but this I think this was on Netflix or something and everyone was talking about it and I thought I'll have a go and it was amazing. <laughs> I just I just enjoyed its utter over the topness. I think you I think you poo pooed it to start with and you watched it and changed your mind. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that um, the scene that they were showing um first of all was the one where he's wrestling the tiger um they didn't bother to show any like the character stuff and that so the problem we've said as well we're coming from cinema that can be associated with bollywood and certainly being sold as bollywood cinema the fact that we got all these singing and dancing moments is what they're selling the film on uh it does mean that you enter into preconception and then you add on the fact it's like three hours long uh, it uh, can seem like a bit of a daunting sort of task, but I think it's managed to win over a lot of people in much the same way that Battle Royale did. It's uh, just managing to charm a lot of people who've seen it, and the fact it's on Netflix as well really helps because you can break it up, which I thought for myself was like one of the better ways to view it. Um, yeah, no, I just I just had a blast with this film. And, Places um... you're bro. <laughs> it is it is the most bro film of the year in as far as I'm well as far as I'm yeah concerned. I mean they they put in love interests of both these these guys uh, but at the same time they seem more happy when they're like doing strength exercises out in the woods or uh, running doing like riding alongside each other down dusty highways that seems to be their jam really yeah <laughs> and and just doing crazy stunts and fighting and stuff yeah, like that. But I think it was one of the best uh, nicknames for any character when he's called the Shepherd. Mm. Um, so I liked, I liked that and yes the England are all dastardly bastards um, which I suppose is to be, 
to be expected when you introduce colonization and try to enforce the empire on people. Yeah, if you're a British person, you don't come out of this film looking very good. <laughs> That's very true. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of films like that. Um, okay, so that's RRR. The next film um, is another country, which is in Asia. Which we don't do. And I can't believe I haven't mentioned... I, I thought I'd done this film before because I love this film and I don't know why I haven't brought it up. But it's 2016's Under the Shadow, um, which is technically a British film, but it's, we did enter it as the foreign language film into the Oscars that year. Um, but it's it's set in Iran with it's set in Tehran in fact during wars it's um and it's 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 in arabic it's it's as iranian as it gets um it's a horror movie about a woman um like i say in Tehran during um wartime um she's a doctor and she she's got a young child and her husband gets sent away to fight and a djinn basically appears and terrifies her and 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 that's just the ghost story bit of it it's also a story about what life for women is like in a in a in a I don't want to say in a Muslim country because not all Muslim countries are the same, but you know, like a like a repressive regime. Um, it's it's just a fantastic film, and and the bad guy is just a sheet. <laughs> <laughs> that that's effectively it. So the, there's the terror. So there's the terror of the real world. There's a, you know she can't get on. She is trained to be a doctor, but she can't be a doctor because she's a woman. Um, she she she's. She's also, you know, is she a good mother? Is she a bad mother? There's all those kind of things going on. It's a really, really fantastic film. And I do try and pimp it every time I can. I'm surprised I haven't brought it up before. Um, and maybe, maybe. But Iran is definitely part of Asia. So that's under the shadow. Um, next up. Now we're off to Japan, section of Japanese films. And the next one, I know you've watched because we had it on the show. And it was The Insect Woman from 1963. Um, which is, in my head, it was a Korean film. But there is another Korean film called The Insect Woman. But the one I'm pick, picking is absolutely the Japanese one that we looked at. Um, again, it's another sort of peppermint candy kind of idea, isn't it? Where we follow the life of a woman through... Japanese sort of pre and post war history um with everything that that involves um I think we both really enjoyed this one when we uh, reviewed it didn't we uh yes I mean it wasn't something that I would return to uh it was sort of like a one and done for myself mm. kind of in many ways like once upon a time in America it was sort of like felt that I got everything I needed to get out of it in that initial viewing I mean certainly it's a story of a woman who keeps getting to the top only to be knocked down again and she does it what three times over the course of this film so it's <laughs> only so many times you can watch someone get knocked down that hill but um it's certainly a story of perseverance and certainly where you see this growing family history throughout it so i think it was certainly an interesting film to look at and uh made for a fun discussion on the show obviously indeed now i really loved it now Next up is a film that 
I've got a, I've got two films <laughs> by the same director that both came out in the same year. So these are two films by Yasuzo Masamura, um, who's a director I've been going on and on about for the last year, mate. Um, so he did Giants and Toys, which I've already yep. got on the list. He did Black Test Car, which I've already got on the list. And now I'm going to pick Eritzumi, um, which is and an, which is a story basically of a woman who is forced into prostitution and she has a giant spider tattoo on her back. I think Eritzumi may be Japanese for tattoo. Actually, that might be why it's called that. Um, yeah, it's it's another one of it's fairly similar to the insect woman in many ways it's just very different visually um yeah it, it's about a woman she basically becomes i mean they say she's a geisha i think it's more like that she's a prostitute and um the 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 tattoo of a spider that she has on her back um is 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 again a metaphor it's how she acts you know, she's she's a black widow shall we say no more that kind of thing so there's that and in the same year um, Masamura also did Red Angel, which is a war film um, that, again, there's a woman front and centre. It's a young woman who gets sort of sent to the, I think it's the Sino-Japanese War again. So it's, and, and, and she sees the horrors of war and she tries to... Um, yeah, it, it, it's how she tries to use herself, her body, her mind to make sense of war and and the men that are affected by it it's got a strange sort of sexual politics thing going on so she seems to think if she sleeps with certain people they'll just feel better um where things are obviously much more complicated than that but again another stunner um so that's 12 and 13 um 14 is also a film by masamura that wasn't on purpose um but it, this was a late breaker i've only very recently watched this although i've had the dvd for a while um this is 1969's blind beast and oh my fucking god this is amazing um and is basically i would say the grandfather to all those wacky Japanese films. And when I say wacky, you know, like disturbing Japanese yeah. films that we get later on. So Blind Beast, um, there is a young model and she has been doing some work basically for a fetish photographer. Um, she gets the attention of a blind guy who happens to be a sculptor. He kidnaps her. Um, and, and she awakes in his studio, which is like this warehouse. And it's the most, and most of the film takes place in this studio set. And basically, he he's, he he believes in some new artistic style, which is about touch, because he doesn't obviously have sight, um, which basically means he gropes people and makes models. But one wall is full of of of, of stone noses, another of of eyes, another of um, arms, another of legs. It's it's. A crazy set, and then in the middle of it, there's this giant naked woman that they're all, that, that that they prance around over. I mean, I don't think it's meant to be stone because it's a bit wibbly wobbly. However, uh, the, the, the girl wants to escape. She thinks this is nuts, right? And then his mother turns up, and his mother, in 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 a sort of a proto. This is when is this? This is sixty nine. So kind of 
there's a bit of psycho going on here. <coughs> the mother's actually alive, and she's sort of um, she's enabling her son. But then the girl realizes actually the way to get out of this is just to get through it, get through with it, right? And let's let him do it. Let's stop fighting it. Um, and then it looks like she's faking that she's fallen in love with him in order to speed things along. But actually, she gets a bit of Stockholm syndrome, and they end up. Um, well, I don't really want to spoil the ending, but let's just say they become like a BDSM couple and the ending is quite shocking, although not terribly graphic. But if um, if if our old friend um, Takashi Miike was to remake a film, this would be the film okay. he remade. Everything that Miike has ever done has some roots in this film. It's amazing it might be a bit one note for some people but i think um if, if you were to watch it i think you know what i mean it's got to be on the arrow player highly recommend i can't that. help in your description but think of like the lionel Richard video for hello do you know what it's very funny you should say that because i was thinking that as well <laughs> because i watched that recently <laughs> yes. um, um it's somewhere between that and and when you're like saying about him being blind um the American office where uh, Michael's got a character who's blind but really gropey. Yeah, this guy's blind and very <laughs> gropey. Like, <laughs> but I, you know, I have to. I was I was enjoying it, and then it took like this left yeah. turn into into quite. I remember this is 1969, right? And this is conservative Japan. I, I know we watch it. You know, we've watched Takashi Miike and Sion Sino films. Um, you know, there's even darker stuff, guinea pig films and stuff like that. Yeah, that that show that weird dichotomy in Japanese cinema from really, really conservative to batshit perverted. Um, you know, we've talked about pinku films as well. This, I just wasn't expecting that. So that, that's basically three films from the same director I've just pulled up that as a director I've just fallen in love with. And all three very different. Zumi feels more like a sort of a classic sort of, almost like a Yakuza thriller, although it's not a Yakuza film. Red Angel's this war film and then Blind Beast is this batshit horror movie. Um, can't think of many directors that are so varied in their, um, in their cinematic CV. I think that's now five films I've got of his. The good news for everybody is I don't think there's any more that are released over here in the West. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, there's Hands of the Razor and Red Angel, which are both been releases over here. Red, no, so, no, Red Angel was, was the war film in the middle. Oh, so, so you Hands said the Red Angel. Is the, is the missing one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think so. I've got one more to uh, Hands of the Razor. <laughs> the, uh, that's an interesting one where he's... Um, it features Shintaro uh, Katsu, who you probably know from the Lone Wolf and mm. Cub movies, but um, yep, he's got yep. an extremely large penis that he uses to okay. interrogate women because it's Japanese, similar for you. And that sort of thing well. flies. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, the next one, again, it's a film with a prize I haven't bought up. Now, to be fair, I'd watched the novel. I'd watched the novel. I'd read the novel. I hadn't just watched it on my kitchen table saying, that's an interesting novel. No, I'd read the novel first and it was um, interesting to find it. Um, directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. Um, it's called The Discarnates, which is a really clumsy name. Um, so it's a 1988 sort of 
ghost story horror story um basically about a man who well it's hard it's hard to explain without spoiling things but there are people in this movie that let's just say he he's very akin to the sixth sense (laughs) he sees dead people um and basically you know relives a life or, or, or fixes some things with his family even though they are actually long dead um it's a really lovely um sort of touching story that uses the supernatural um as as, as it's got but it, it, it's really restrained and the reason i bring up the restraint is i did say it was by nobuhiko obayashi and we both know that he directed house who <laughs> so and he did a lot of nutty films but this you know very surreal films but this is a really restrained one and and, you know like in the way that um audition is like this really restrained version of takashi Miike. yeah other films are much more batshit crazy but we remember this one the discarnates is like his kind of just a restrained horror movie but it's all about atmosphere and it's all about memories and it's all about family and it's Everyone I've sort of recommended it to have gone off and said, oh, yeah, that was actually really good. Thank you for showing it to me. And again, I can't believe I haven't mentioned it before. So that's that. Right. Next up, 2004. From the director that gave you World of Kanako, <laughs> which I know is a film yes. you like. Um, I'm picking, and again, I'm shocked. I thought this was on the list already, but um, it's... Um, What's it called? Um, um, it's Kamikaze Girls. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm very um, surprised because you've been talking about this, I think, since, well, fully about since day Since we one, started, probably. Yeah. And I've never bought it to the show. And I'm surprised I haven't bought it to the list. Um, so, it, yeah, it's directed, as I said, by uh, Tetsuya Nakashima, um, who yeah, we, we've bought to the show before with World of Kanako. He's he's directed a few films that I really love, which is, I think, the reason yeah, he I struggle with World of Kanako. Confessions as well. He did Confessions as well, yes, absolutely, which is already on the list. I'm pretty certain it is. If it's not, I've really failed. This is a mu- much lighter affair. Um, this is not a story about a young girl. No, really? Confessions is not on the no. list, so... Right, we're both going to fight for that next time. Um, anyway, yes, so this is the story of a young girl who's, um, I think she lives in a small town <coughs> in, in the countryside, and she's really into this sort of gothic Lolita fashion. <coughs> you know, that sort of, the way they'd sort of dress up in this sort of Regency-style outfits and makeup, and it just looks bizarre, but they'll walk around in it as like if goths, they were part they? of... They're goths, but pastel. um, pastel. Yeah, very good. That's a lovely. Well, is that an original? No, no. It's basically no? yeah. Okay. Pastel goths is whereas goths are very much about like the doom and gloom and listening to the cure and the rain. Uh, pastel yeah. goths are more about the the kind of like the dollhouse mentality. Um, mm. Where, as I said, they've got that periodness piece about them um which is kind of like reminiscent of like victorian elizabethan think phrase or like um and rice sort of grandeur sort of v- vampires and then uh they obviously 
bring into this the more pastel sort of colors so while they've got to see these gothic touches to it there's lots of whites and uh, sort of light colors in there and they obviously uh shy, shy away from like the more traditional black <laughs> of uh, the goth community yeah yeah absolutely okay. um thank you for that they hang around on the bridge uh, over by Shinjuku district where the uh, young <laughs> men like to take photos of their outfits. Yeah, there, there, there is a bit of that. So, I, side by, just, just sidebar, this film is not pervy at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a really good natured movie about two girls, one of whom's really into this, um, this, this, this kind of fashion and uh, in particular a clothing boutique called baby the shark stars shine bright which i think is a real thing um it is yes um so and then she's <coughs> she becomes friends with this girl called ishigo who is like a biker babe uh well not really a babe at all but they they, they become really close through fashion it's just such a well it's just a it's if Candy Crush was a film, it would look like um, Kamikaze Girls. But it's just delightful and lovely and I don't know, it is it is a it is a it is like a it's like a bag of sweeties. You probably get diabetes if you watch it too often, but um gorgeous and Obviously, the, the the director has got this really lovely visual style as well, and I know this. I know this has had releases in the UK, so definitely, um, definitely one I'll probably end up bringing it to. The, that's why I'm trying to not say too much because I think I am going to bring it to the show. Um, right, next up, um, another director that I have grown to like. Um, is uh masayuki suo um he's probably most famous for the film called shall we dance which was a huge hit and then i think there was a hollywood remake of it starring i want to say richard Gere. i can't remember it doesn't matter um he also made uh, sumo do and sumo don't which i believe is being made into a live action show yes, at the moment I think the, um, there's a show in the works i'm not sure where it's going to turn up uh to on mm, over here but, but uh, that, i've heard it's in the works yeah however i'm gonna pick i just didn't do it um uh, i just didn't do it is a i think i'm sure i talked about this before just trying to think is he did, oh oh yeah he also did abnormal family older brother's bride which is a pinku film i reviewed for eastern kicks that's basically a pinku film done in the style of ozu yeah, of course. <laughs> interesting anyway sorry i just didn't do it is a really interesting story, a film from 2007 um you hear about um, on Japanese, you know, Japanese trains are very full, and, and and you get to hear about these men that grope women on trains or public transport in general. And this young man um, is accused of groping a young woman on a train, and he gets um, basically sent to prison. But he decides to. Uh, sort of appeal this and go through the courts so this film is about two things it's about the sort of the sort of culture of sexual abuse is that too strong a word but it, it's sort of, the, the 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 there's a whole sort of men and women have different 
rights and 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 the attitude towards women from a lot of Japanese men is quite backward, um, even even compared to the rest of Asia. Um, but what it's really talking about is the ridiculous nature of the Japanese justice system. And I think I talked about this before, but basically 98% of people who get charged with a crime end up being guilty. And there's two reasons for this. Well, there could be three reasons. The, the, the reason which is very unlikely is that the Japanese police are really fucking good at their job. <laughs> The other reason is they only press charges if they're really fucking confident. And the third reason is the justice system doesn't like to say that the police are wrong. So so even when things go to court and the, the Supreme Court, it's got to be absolutely cast iron certainty that the police got it wrong for things to get overturned. So that's what this film's about. Um... I know it doesn't sound like a laugh, but it really, it really, it really is. So it's it's a kind of drama comedy, um, which is really talking about really interesting, very Japanese things. It is well over two hours long, so it's nearly two and a half hours long. So it's a bit of a surprise that this comes to me, but it's just it's just really interesting, really um, well acted, and and I don't know the story really appealed. A really good director. So that's I just didn't do it. We're getting near the end. Next up, another one I can't believe we haven't already got on the list. And it's an anime. Oh wow. Branching out. And and it's not a studio Ghibli. Ghibli. It is Your Name from Oh right, yeah. Ooh, 2016. Um not only have I I'm like Bings, I actually went to see this at the cinema. <laughs> um yeah, a story of, well, the usual thing, high school girl living in a rural town and then <coughs> suddenly she switches body with a with a boy, young boy in Tokyo. And, I mean, this feels like there's a lot of Asian, thing, Asian stories which sort of use either a body switch or a time switch or something like that. Like Ilmer is about a couple that are separated through two years, although they can communicate through letters um it feels a bit like that um i've actually given away the ending of this film so i've got to be a bit careful but yes well yes sort of because i said they're time switched basically they they swap lives every so often and they get to learn about each other um in 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 viewing what the other one's life is like both as different gender and the fact that one comes from the country and one comes from the city um however there's a there's a there's a there's, there's a horrible event is going to happen that one of them knows about and one of them's going to experience um because they're because they're, they're time separated um it's just really lovely it's that kind of it, I mean, it's a incredibly popular. It, it, I think it's like one of the most popular animations of all time. Um, there's a lot going on, but uh, a bit of me does think it's probably nothing. The it's probably nothing the dedicated anime and manga fan hadn't seen before. But for those of us that are less deeply buried in that culture. This was absolutely charming and lovely, and I'm really glad I saw it at the cinema. I've um, fallen asleep. Have you seen I your I've fallen asleep twice trying to watch this. So, oh, really? Um, it is from the same director who gave us Weathering You, as well as The Place Promised in the early days. 
which is a film we, we did here and you didn't no, know about either. we did that way back <laughs> in our uh, own early days of this podcast. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, this is obviously um, a very modern stream of anime that came out, sort of came into prominence really around the pandemic. I remember everyone getting really excited about, um, about his work as a, a director and certainly seeing one of these uh, romantic animes being pushed to the mainstream rather than the usual sort of fare that we were used to. Uh, but uh, no, I've I've tried and failed to watch this twice. So at some point I will uh, sit down and watch it. But I've uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just a huge fan of Makoto Shinkai. Um, I know I didn't sell you on Place Promised in our early days. I love Five Centimeters a Second. I love um, Garden of Words. I'm not such a fan of Children Who Chase Lost Voices. Um, but yes, yes. This was. I mean, this is the third highest grossing anime film of all time. So get with the program, man. Oh, yeah, go. <laughs> Tell you what, you, you, you lot who wouldn't say this, you don't seem like a Gona guy or. <laughs> I didn't choose Legend of the Ogre. No, he did Devil sure. Man. And he's also yeah. responsible for giving the uh, as the idea of something that goes inside a robot. That was his thing. Okay. So. But yeah, he's around. Right. What's next? Next, we're going to leave Japan and we're going to go to South Korea. We're on the homeward straight now. Um, and this is a next one's a film I saw um, in London. There's a there's a sort of a Korean cultural exchange place, that, which I used to have to go to quite a lot when I was like interviewing people for Heist and Kicks and things like that. Um, and they used to put on a film once a month. Um, and I remember seeing this as one of them. I mean, it was basically, it's in a little classroom with a little 35mm projector. It's not its not like a proper cinema and you're, you're sitting on the floor and stuff like that. But anyway, um, this is The Harmonium in My Memory. Um, 1999 film. So very much part of that. Again, I keep talking about the Hallyu, the, the Korean wave, this sort of... Sort of this, I don't know this explosion of South Korean cinema and and how it was made available to the rest of the world in this time mostly in sort of Southeast Asia but this is when I was discovering it as well so whilst we were discovering horror movies and J-horror and K-horror and all that sort of thing I was also eating up all these kind of films um Peppermint Candy sort of again to, re to reference that for a third time it's that kind of era of filmmaking um What's most well, other other than the fact it's a really good film, this stars two giants of Korean cinema, and indeed, probably bigger than that. So um, the lead male is Lee Byung Hun, who we will remember from Joint Security Area and A Bittersweet Life and The Good, The Bad, The Weird, and I Saw the Devil, and I think he's in the GI Joe movies as well. Um, so he's he's a and also he's in um he was the man behind the mask in Squid Game. Um so yeah he's probably one of the most recognizable international Korean actors. Um this is one of his early roles. It also stars the incomparable Jeon Do Yon um who's in a ton of films including another one coming up in a minute. Um she's like the second Asian actress to win the Palm Door acting prize. She's um yeah, she's a she's a 
she's one of these actresses that doesn't just get by on her looks at all um, not that she's unattractive but she, she, she's got proper proper acting chops and she tries all sorts of different roles and she's amazing um, basically um, Lee Byung-hun is a sort of a teacher that has to go and do his sort of year in industry <laughs> in this, this really rural village school and this young girl played by um, Jeon Do-yeon sort of has a real crush on him and she's kind of crazy but he's just not really interested and then he falls in love with another teacher at the school it's a kind of slice of life it's a it's a growing pains there's two you know there's this slightly older guy and the young girl going through this you know life-changing experience which was happening in this in this sort of one one year it's a beautiful gorgeous film amazing performances up and down um it's yeah I, it, it's, it's just one of the to me it's one of the sort of must-haves if you're really going to be into south korean cinema you need to watch this and you're going to tell me you've never seen it so I'll move <laughs> how on. did you know <laughs> i'm feeling a pattern here <laughs> it's, it's sort of like, oh, this is too classy for edward's taste well, that's not that's he's not like, always oh, the no. case. The bonus syndrome. Yeah, he's definitely seen that. <laughs> right. And next one is another one of my absolute favourites, and it's called Crush and Blush, and it's from two thousand and eight. Another South Korean film. Um, it's a uh, it's a South Korean comedy, um, starring um, one of my favourite actresses, um, Gong Hyo Jin. Um, basically she's a teacher at a school um no one likes her and she's got this habit of going really red in the face when she gets embarrassed um and she always has growing up um uh, hence the <coughs> blush and she yeah, has a crush on her and she has this she has a, a crush on this guy she went to school with who um well, he used to be a teacher, but now she works with him because she's become a teacher. Um, but he's married and he's a bit older than her and he's got a crush on another girl and 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 another teacher. And um, she decides to, I don't know, she's trying to hurt the, the girl he's got a crush on. Um, and she sort of links up with the teacher's she's got a crush on daughter and wacky hijinks ensue um gong hyo jin is just a really excellent actress this is really playing against type she you know she's she's a really attractive woman but she this one she doesn't brush her hair she looks rough she wears skanky clothes not skanky clothes that's the wrong word she wears you know she, she dresses like she's just woken up off the street um which is just very against everything a leading woman does in a career movie it's huge huge fun um also noteworthy because it was produced by park chan wook um sort of his first foray into filmmaking although just as a as, as the producer but you know that obviously meant that he had a huge say in it um just trying to think if the director has done anything interesting other than be a woman which is very rare. Lee Kyung Mi is a is a, is a lady, um, and 
I'm going to pick up another film in a minute by a female Korean director, but they're really unusual. Um, she also made um, The Truth Beneath, which is a film which nearly made this, but because I can't um, play um, multi-region DVDs at the moment, I couldn't rewatch it, so I didn't get it. She's also the wife of Pierce Conran. If anyone's into um, Korean cinema, Pierce has been really... He's really influential in bringing Korean cinema to a Western audience. Um, but there you go. There's, there's some things about the directoress. Directoress, interesting. Um, next up, t- number 21. We're on the homeward bound. I know you haven't watched this. So there's a World Cup going on at the moment. Elwood, I'm sure you're paying a lot of attention. I've been told um, it's happening. <laughs> I know that. I know that sort of global sporting events that aren't wrestling aren't really all. Well, you know, I, I just but, like, you know, Proper sports. Um, like, as I said, I know I was trying to go with a smart answer, but yeah, it is mainly wrestling. It's the only one that can. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. You know, sports aren't for everybody, but I do love a sports movie. Um, although they all tend to follow fairly similar. <laughs> um, fairly similar um sort of patterns you know that it's all oh, these people aren't good enough but if they all end up working together they'll beat the big bad um as as shown in shaolin soccer but this one is actually based on a true story it's called as one it's from 2012 um and it's a story about ping pong or table tennis as we probably should call it or whiff raff as our old uh old prime minister famously called it in 2008 um anyway yes it's sports drama um basically what's happened is um, i mean you know that the asian people bloody love table tennis and badminton and they all play it as if they've got a bat or a racket glued to their hand from birth so so this is this is a big deal this is a true story of basically i said basically a lot there um about uh just let me check the date uh, the 1991 world table tennis championships and what was important here is that a unified korean team was was sent there um so instead of competing as south korea and north korea they sort of the, the, some political event made them um join together well i do know why they did it there was a it's 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 it was it was to diffuse the heightened issues after a terrorist um, bombing of a Korean plane. Anyway, it stars. So, so yeah, North Korea and South Korea men's and women's teams go to Chiba and in in Japan and um, win the gold medal at ping pong. Um, that's that's the whole story. However, it's actually a story of the sort of two leads. One played by um, Haji Won, who's an actress I think's bloody amazing and I've put several films already I'm sure with her in and I've got the duelist on here and the other one the North Korean uh, lead sort of female is played by Bae Do Na who we've talked about multiple times and we'll be talking about again in a minute um and it's just it's just a really you know you wouldn't have thought a film about table tennis teams is uh it's particularly enthralling, but it is basically on the basis it's got these two superb actresses in it. Um, the story itself happens as you happen. Of course, it being based on a true story makes it a little more interesting. I watched this in um, one of the cinemas in Leicester Square. Um, 
for some reason, so it must have been as part of the Korean Film Festival. I can't think of any other reason why I managed to watch this in London. Um, yeah, really interesting. It's it's a true-ish story, obviously. It's been made a little more cinematic, but it's, it's true nonetheless. So, yeah, if you want a sports movie... Um, I think the film actually in Korean is just called Korea or something like that. But over, over here it was called um, As One. Yeah, it is just called Korea. Interesting. Um, yeah, again, probably quite hard for people to watch it, which is why I will never bring it to the show. Right. Um, actually, just checking who it's directed by. No, it's not. No, no. Kim Ji-Woon had something to do with it, but he didn't okay, direct okay. it. Right, okay, next up. Um, so I think I've been quite upbeat, apart from a couple of movies, like Boat People, and I guess Ebola Syndrome, with the films I've picked. <coughs> yeah. They've sort of been fun and uplifting, or comedies. Um, to- sort of going to tone it down a bit now, turn it down a bit, um, and look at the 2013 film um, directed by Lee Soo-jin, um, called Han Gongju. Um, so, sort of, I have to sort of really reel it down now. So, this is an independent South Korean film. So, there is an independent scene in South Korea, but this really did really, really well at the time. Um, it's the story of a young girl who something has happened to her, and we basically explore her story in a slightly fractured way we don't see time linearly um the the idea being that we find out the full horror of what's happened at the end of the film but you basically she's gone to a new school she's really withdrawn um she doesn't seem to have a relationship with her mother or her father we don't really understand the film opens and she says it wasn't my fault it wasn't my fault and that is the theme for the whole film um she falls in with some young girls who find out that she can sing and they enter her for a singing competition (coughs) which means that people find out where she is and suddenly these people burst into school and start shouting at her what basically it turns out is is that the poor girl was gang raped by 43 boys and the South Korean um, justice system, as we've okay, we talked about the Japanese one, but the South Korean justice system completely let her down and basically let the boys get away with it. Um, now this would be very sad just if this was the story of a film, but it's based on a real story. Um known as the what do they call it no it's like the mere bang rape incident or something like that it it doesn't matter you can look it up if you're interested but this is a fantastic film centered by an amazing performance by um the lead actress um chum woo hee who like i think she's like playing a 17 year old but she's like 25 26 at the time but you wouldn't know she's brilliant um she's also in the director's next film which was called idol um, which is also excellent, but also quite complicated to follow, and you need to, and also is having a big stick at sort of South Korean society in this case, sort of how politicians get away with literal murder. Um, anyway, back to this film. I've watched it a couple of times. It's heartbreaking, but it is brilliant. And just bear in mind, although it looks very well made, it's an independent film. Um, Lee Soo Jin, who's the director, um, yeah, really interesting. Hasn't made a lot of films yet, 
but certainly um, Han Gongju and um, Idol, which is the hardest film to track down, by the way, Idol, because of its name. <laughs> but both really, really, really recommended. Um, the story of of the sort of the true story of um, that, that Han Gongju is based on also sort of touches on some other films. There's a film called Poetry, which is quite well regarded, which. He's looking at it from from the other side of the sort of one of the boys that's done something. So yeah, it's 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 a really hard watch, but it's a really amazing film. Like I say, centered by a really amazing performance. Next up, um, I said I would return to um, Jondo Yon from harmonium in my memory and this is the 2013 film way back home way back home is directed by another female south korean director i said i'd bring another one back and um, bang unjin um you'll remember her as the director of perfect number back in one of our other early episodes she also directed an amazing film called um princess aurora so way back home is another one based on a true story and it just so happens the way i've ordered them that it's two true stories in a row um basically the the true story is a korean housewife got who fell on hard times um thought she was smuggling um diamonds which is bad, but not the worst crime in the world, right? And it turns out she'd been smuggling cocaine, completely unknown, um, from Guadeloupe through Holland into <coughs> France. She gets caught in France. Um, she gets put in prison in Paris for four months. But because the crime took place in... It sort of originated in Guadeloupe, she gets sent to a prison in martinique which is a french territory in the caribbean and because she's korean and can't speak a word of french and because the french the korean embassy in france were fucking useless <laughs> she's stuck there for two years so this is a dramatization of that story um and sort of sort of it sort of has a couple of sort of threads going on. There's this husband who happens now to look after their daughter, who's desperately trying to find out where his wife is, what's going on. No one will help him. The French authorities won't help. The Korean authorities won't help. Um, no one really knows what's going on. Meanwhile, he's got no money because that's why she had to smuggle jewelry in yeah, the yeah. first place. Um, her daughter, you know, the daughter. Sort of having to hand her off to various relations and people like that. Um, meanwhile, um, John Doe Young's character is in prison, and I've got to admit, at times you would have thought you're watching a Roger Corman film. <laughs> Everything that happens in an all women's prison happens in this all women's prison, except for except for naked showers. But yes, there's a there's a there's a butch lesbian prison guard who forces favors from people. <laughs> That there's there's the, a lot of humiliation, um, because she's the only Asian person yeah. there, and everybody else apart from one white girl are black. There's a lot of racism, a lot of people calling her yellow face, and and that's not the worst of it. Um, and she's only like five foot tall because she's this little Asian woman, and she's just a housewife, and she's not a hardened criminal. And the performance by John Dion is just amazing. Um, 
you know, she she has you know, no one else speaks Korean in the film, you know, in this place that she's in. So, but she says she has to act and try to get understood. Um, it's amazing. The fact that it's bought based on a true story is um, even worse. However, I did some reading up about this, and it turns out that what's even worse is in the real story, the the woman when she came back, she's found it almost impossible to adjust to life um because of the way korean society judges people that have committed crimes and things like that that she's she's just not being able to slide back into society the way her children were treated has been quite terrible because you know, her mother was a criminal and i think she suffered from extreme depression and and and, and the like and i've read a quote from her that said you know two years in prison i could handle it's it's actually being back home has been the worst thing which this film doesn't go into um it obviously has the has the happy the happyish ending at the you know that she that she gets out um again another damning indictment of south korean um <coughs> political the political situation in south korea and, and it's just even more horrific that it's it's a true story um so yeah if you like that kind of hallmark channel feel good story with a lot of grim stuff in the middle this is the one for you i really liked it and again it's all about the main performance two more to go (laughs) the final one from south korea is um 2014's a girl at my door starring um uh beidouna again and i think this is another female director it is july jungwoo um so although i've said there aren't any i've named them all i think in this section that wasn't on purpose um so in girl at my door beidou plays a um police officer who some scandal has happened in the past and she's sent to um from from seoul into some quiet seaside town it sounds like every film's like that doesn't it (laughs) that everyone's being sent to a little seaside town um the seaside town it's yeah, all the locals go out and get pissed all the time. That's the main crime, is people being drunk and disorderly. Um, and she gets on with it. But she actually is a raging alcoholic herself. She just doesn't drink in public. Um, so you think she's drinking water out of water bottles, and she's actually downing soju, which is like the local spirit. <laughs> um, it then occurs that she's um it, it it has to be very careful in what it's saying but it, it, it she is a lesbian basically and um there's been a big split up with her partner so that's part of the reason something has happened in the past people find out she's a lesbian you know lgbt plus stuff is still not that well supported and understood in south korea so there's that whole aspect to it um she then discovers sort of ends up helping a young 14 year old girl who's being abused by her father um but he's like or i think it's by her stepfather actually but he's like the main boss of town so he's getting away with it um she gets outed as a homosexual so that doesn't help um and then they do the whole thing and it's quite you know you know there's this whole horrible thing with right wingers at the moment where they sort of accuse everybody on the left transsexuals and homosexuals of being groomers yeah. right this whole horrible use of words which just just 
is a nonsense. Well, this is what happens. And this is back in 2014. This is what happens to Beidou Nar's character in this film. Um, and she's basically accused of abusing the young girl. Does it happen? Does it not happen? That's what happens in the rest of the film. Um, there's, yeah, it's it's quite a harsh watch for a drama. Um, it's got a lot of stuff to say, obviously, about being a gay woman in South Korea. It's got a lot to say, again, about institutions in, in South Korea as well, about attitudes to LGBT plus people. Um, there's also, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, the the there are aspects of this film which are left open-ended so it's not as preachy as it might sound um you know the Baydunar's character may not be the angel or the or the the person that's put upon and has been accused unfairly as it might be you'd have to watch it to find out um I know sort of got it was well anticipated at the time and got a bit of mixed reviews lots of people really liked it lots of people found it Maybe it was too challenging for them, or maybe it was just too Korean for them. But yeah, I really, I really recommend it. And um, if you can find it, and finally, in this monologue, <laughs> <laughs> which seems to happen every time, is a very recent film. Uh, and I don't know if you got a chance to watch it. I did share the screener with you. Um, so the one film I picked from Taiwan, which is something I must sort out next time. More films from Taiwan. It's 2021's Godam Dasura, um, which was Taiwan's entry for this year's or last year's Best International Film at the Oscars. doesn't matter. I only reviewed it fairly recently, but I saw that it was actually released in 2021, so I, I got confused. Um, it is a story about a lot of characters, but there is a fundamental event, i.e. a young boy who goes breaks a bit and starts shooting people in a street market with a BB gun. Um, and there are various people whose lives are connected to him, either directly or via various things like where he lives or the media that he consumes. And we see, you know, he gets... He, he's, the, he's the son of some important people. Um, so his case... Be, you know, gets captured and, and 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 his case becomes a bit of a cause celeb and we see the lies of these i think there's like eight main characters sort of go through as as impacted or sometimes not as impacted by the events of that situation and then the film does i guess what you'd call a sliding doors moment and goes back to that and two of the the boy meets another one of the characters and instead of going on his little rampage for whatever reason he went on the rampage which was discussed in the first half of the film he forms a relationship with this person it's a reconnection with somebody he used to know as a younger boy and everyone's lives are different very slide so far so sliding doors what makes it interesting though is that there are no happy endings things might be different but different shit happens to different people um and it's a really you know everyone who's involved the story impacts them in completely different ways by going down this alternate timeline <clears throat> really well shot really well directed i really hope because it's got um because it got on the old oscars i hope it's going to turn up on a 
on a service somewhere soon, I'd really, really highly recommend it. And that, sir, is 25 new films for your list, our list. Very good. So now we've got plenty uh, to go off and look at. Blame for the people to uh, check out as well and uh, maybe give us some recommendations for what we add to our next list because we're always on the lookout for film recommendations. And what better place to let us know than if you go and check out our Facebook group on, um, or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, come and say hi to us there. You can get in touch with us the email, which is acfilmclub at yahoo.com. Or if uh, you want, you can leave us a review and let us know what you think of the, uh, the show. Um, leave us a rating that all helps raise the profile of the show you can also check out our blog, full archive of episodes at asiansimplefilmclub.wordpress.com as well again thank you for listening thank you to my co-host Stephen I realise I've been talking non-stop for longer than Temptress of a Thousand Faces one time <laughs> there you go it's like a commentary <laughs> you can do in the future indeed <laughs> indeed no, pleasure as always sir. Um, and we will be back again very soon with another selection but until then good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.